not the intro. It could be. We never know. Is that a cowboy running by? We don't know. Welcome to the dreamscape <laughs> or the hellscape. If it's Always the dreamscape, hell. it's the intro. If it's the hellscape, it's the actual episode that you're listening to. There's no separation. It's all the same. It's all one big Not hellscape. anymore. So we're here before everything. We're doing another listener-driven episode. In November, we're going to do a whole episode revolving around one question that we're about to ask you, and we are asking you to send in your answers to this question, and we will read them on the air. We will discuss it. We'll discuss it. Even your most offensive answers, mm-hmm. we are going to say them. If this is just a hit list you send in by mail. Yeah. The most incriminating answers you have, we are yeah. going to read them on air and dissect them. Mm-hmm. Just like you're going to dissect all those victims. So here's the question we want you to answer. What is one thing that annoys you most in Los Angeles? This podcast. Oh, is that? Oh. You're not answer. Oh, sorry. I got confused. I thought you were asking me. Oh, well, I guess what was the question again? Slipped into the hellscape. Uh, that question again is, what is one thing that annoys you most in Los Angeles? I have mine already. I'm not going to say it. Well, you just have the one? The podcast. That's gotcha. fine. Burn, 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 burn. Take that. Hard burn, burn, burn. I burn you before you burn me. <laughs> Ow. So you have a couple months. We'll ask again a few times. Yeah. Um, more like beg a few times and um, just uh, send that I'm looking forward to us. that episode. I think it'll be interesting. Yeah. Because we did the one episode where people send in, what, what was it? It was like what they like most or are most proud yeah, of. How to navigate. So it kind of led to like what you like about yeah, the city and how to. Now we're, we're doing the opposite now. Yeah. <laughs> And we've given you, what, almost seven years full of content on why, what annoys you the most. So, I mean. You keep hammering away that. I, I meant like <laughs> that. The city never retains we've anything. We've given you like 80 episodes yeah. of things that you hate most. So, yeah. Answer that question again. What is one thing that annoys you most in Los Angeles? You could send it to us. Uh, email la.meekly at gmail.com. Or on Instagram. Uh, Instagram at la underscore meekly. Twitter at la meekly. Uh, if you run into me at Ralph's, you could just tell me. If you see me at Ralph sitting in my car waiting for groceries to be put in my trunk, please don't don't come near my car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just uh, send me an email saying, hey, I saw you. I saw you. And I know what kind of car you're driving. I've been driving around Studio City looking for it. Thanks for not giving my true address. Uh. I live in Bel Air. <laughs> um, also, since we're here, you might as well leave us a review on iTunes since we're plugging everything in a way. If you have an iPhone, open your podcast app. It helps us get more noticed and more notoriety, although which I think is a bad thing. And we are not. We are not what annoys people. The podcast that'll live in infamy. Did I do it right? I think I did it wrong. The podcast that'll live in notoriety. <laughs> <laughs> also, if you want to support us, there's keeps, a guy who's just watching keeps, himself by the river. Huh, oh, river. you live by the river. Oh, crap. I did it again. The Bel Air River. <laughs> the um, Bel Air Creek. Just liquid money. You can also, if you want to support us financially, because we don't make, we are an independent podcast. Mm-hmm. We don't make any money Scrappy doing this. Scrappy little thing. We haven't eaten in months. We've been raised in a pit with the smell of meat all around us. But and we, we have can't to pay have rent meat. on the pit. And Mr. Johansson doesn't like that we pay late all the time. Yeah. But. And every once in a while, he throws a Viking prisoner into it. <laughs> you can support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month. We can send you handwritten postcards. I just printed a whole batch of wacky new ones Ooh, wacky. custom designed ones that i think you're gonna like oh boy or for less than that we'll just say your name anyway that's it here comes the intro if you've never listened to us before something weird's about to happen for about three minutes and then uh, the actual episode starts yeah. so bear with us see you in three minutes with a callback to a joke from the intro <laughs> Boy, these walkie-talkies are great as long as our cars are parked right next to each other. Hey, 
now. Sorry, I moved my head to look into the rearview mirror and I lost reception. Over. I'm so glad you got these. It's way safer than talking on those 5G cell phones, according to all those websites that have swastikas in their domain name. I didn't even know my keyboard had that key. Over. You don't even need the key. Just hit Z, rotate your keyboard, and hit Z again. Remind me, why are we here? Over. Well, we still can't record indoors because TikTok had a YouTube party, and we can't record outdoors in LA right now because... Because it's hot as balls. Over. Indubitably. So here we are in Death Valley. Over. Gee, for a place called Death Valley, you'd think there'd be more here. Wait, isn't Death Valley hot as balls? Over. Yes, but it's also cold as balls. So I figure we know it's hot in LA, but here it could either be really hot or really cold. Over. But it's hot. Over. Well, we don't know that. We haven't been outside yet. Over. Do we have to keep saying over? Over. It's the only way we know when the sentence is over. Over. But I can see you. I can see when you're done talking. Over. All right. I guess we don't have to say it. Over. Over. You know, it looks really hot out there. What if I go outside and I like mount into a puddle and then you come out to rescue me, but when you come out, you slip on my puddle body and your shoe goes flying and it hits a rattlesnake and the snake bites a donkey and then the donkey he barrels headlong into a cactus because of the snake bites and then the vibrations from the cactus activates the Hungarian Symphonic Orchestra, the one that's over there, you see them. And they start playing Beethoven's Ninth Symphony so enthusiastically that the light reflecting off the oboe blinds a fighter pilot that was one day from retirement and he crashes into our cars and it causes a fiery red and our walkie-talkies get damaged. What if that happens? Over. That's ridiculous. A donkey knows not to run into a cactus. Just get out there. You first, because it was my idea. Over. Bring a jacket, just in case. Over and out. Okay, but if it's too hot... Oh my god! It's so cold he melted! Greg! Whoa, whoa! Close one. I almost slopped. Hey, this isn't Greg's puddle. Where's the receding hairline? Oh, his puddle's over there. Whoa! Another close one. Hey, there's puddles everywhere here. Better get a closer look. Didn't slip in any of them. Well, sorry, everybody. Guess it's just not going to happen today. Sorry, Hungarian Symphonic Orchestra. I know you came all the way here. Maybe it can be a tax write-off. Sorry, Vibrating Cactus. I just have really good balance. And I just bought new balances. Sorry, fighter pilot. Enjoy your retirement. Sorry, donkey. Donkey. Maybe next time, snake. Well, I guess I'll just drive home and leave Greg's puddle here to evaporate in the cold. So what he would have... Welcome to yet another episode of Alley Meekly, the podcast I'll have you saying, and that's why they call it Death Valley. Yeehaw! And that's why they call it a callback. <laughs> Hee-yaw! Hee-yaw! Now the intros are bleeding into the actual episode. They're bleeding into the pre-intros and the post-intros, which are what we call the episodes. I wish they would bleed and die. Wow. The hellscape is back. Stop looking behind you. It's I hear noises. I want to see if it's right behind me or not. It sounds. Well, hey, everybody. We're recording in a recycling center today. <laughs> I'll tell you when something oh is right God. behind you, when it's too late. This could be a setup. Oh, who's that? Who's driving that car? Look behind you, Dad. Father, okay. You're going to go to the bathroom and, and you're going to. There's a gun planted there days ago. There's a veal parmesan strapped behind the toilet. I've seen The Godfather. I've seen The Godfather. <laughs> okay. I get it. So, what is it? 
it's uh, uh, September. Yeah, yeah, September. Oh it's my god, September. It's September, and it feels like August. Who would have thunk it? Who would have thunk that it's been ninety degrees for about four weeks now? Yep, nonstop. Not even no breaks whatsoever. Nonstop. Four in the morning. It's still ninety degrees, yeah. and the calendars don't mean anything anymore. And who cares? The cal- what, calendars what? and thermostats yeah. are useless at this point. Welcome to the hot episode of Ally Meekly. Who knows what month it is? My body has not gone below a certain temperature, maybe three weeks, uh, and I've gone a little bit crazy. It's not the problem. Has been that it's been so humid the past like three nights before recording this and last night when it wasn't humid but it was still like 85 degrees it was like wow i need a jacket there was like maybe a four minute period where like the fan hit me and there was cold air behind it and i thought this is i have the will to live i've contemplated putting what if i just get a block of ice and put it behind the fan good idea like in a cartoon and there's like flags flying off of the fan so i know it's working and there's a ice pick in the ice so yeah it's september Uh, we already made the wake me up when september and i'm going off my checklist of what we have to cover we didn't but that was enough of just you we did that last month so we got that out of the way it's my birthday this month so i'll expect happy birthday month oh are these the blue angels that you hired to fly over for my birthday month you can't even see what they're sky riding right now because we're sitting under a covered parking area I paid $40 million for this in taxpayer money. I didn't think it through. Let's talk about what we did in the last month in August in that hot August nights. Hot August nights. What did you do? Well, this was really hard because we've gotten so deep into quarantine that all the digital things I could have done, I've done already. So now I've done almost literally nothing. I'm like, my heartbeat is slowly (laughs) going down to comatose as the months go along. That's my goal so that I won't age anymore. (laughs) And I get frozen. Won't have to pay for air conditioning and I won't age. I got it all figured out. (laughs) I know the perfect health remedy. It's called the Disney diet. (laughs) My thing of the month, I'm just going to have to go with LA Animal Services. Okay. Because I told you this story. You did. I'll go through it in brief. We were on our nightly walk through a neighborhood that's now being sprayed down for West Nile virus. We were walking and it was dark already and we had to walk through the middle of the street because on each side of the street there were two groups of people with like they each had like four dogs. Yeah. And then we got to the end of the street and I have the f- my flashlight because there's roaches all over the floor. Right. And we don't want to look. At, well, I don't want to look at them. So I brought a flashlight to look at them. <laughs> They're invisible in the light. They're ladybugs if you fly, if you put a light on them. Yeah. But in the With dark, they're red roaches. Tinted, if you wear red tinted glasses, every roach is a ladybug. <laughs> That's my John Lennon album. We got to the end of the street and I like just happened to shine a flashlight to the left and there was a dog standing there. And I'm like, look at this dog. Because yeah. someone, someone was also walking their dog right next to this dog. Mm-hmm. And then... We walked a little bit and I like looked and that lady had left and the two groups of people with dogs had left yeah. and that dog was still there alone and we didn't know like who's this has to be somebody one of these people's dogs yeah. but none of them came back to get the dog and we waited for a little bit and then the person who lived at that house where the dog was like walked passed from her car and I was shining the light on the dog and she like looked at the dog and then just went into her house we didn't like we got the dog to come over mm-hmm. and it had a collar and its name was Judy Rainbow and <laughs> Good name for a dog but we didn't know like is that the dog's name or is that the owner's name yeah or is this is this like a weird game where we're gonna be trapped in some sort of Wizard of Oz torture dungeon or some something sort of pyramid scheme that starts with me returning a dog so sort of rainbow scheme <laughs> it had that in an address that was in Burbank and we're like there's no way this dog walked 
walk from Burbank. Yeah. And it had two phone numbers. So we called both of them. One was disconnected. One nobody answered. Yeah. And then someone from one of the dog people from across the street came out and were like, is this your dog? And she's like, no, but I've never seen this dog. Yeah. And we oh, were, no, but I love dogs, though. And then walks away. Pretty much. She's like, oh, poor dog. So do you want a leash so that you can take it somewhere? <laughs> like the, the two people who clearly don't live in this neighborhood in yeah. one of these houses. Yeah. She gave us a leash. And then we walked the dog two miles back to our place uh-huh. where we're not allowed to have dog. Like we couldn't, right. we didn't bring it inside because there's also poison on the floor to keep roaches away, which right. you know, it's ladybugs away. <laughs> so then we like gave it water and took it to the vet to get scanned. Mm-hmm. And they found a chip, but like they were calling numbers and nobody was answering. Yeah. And we were afraid, like we can't keep this dog. We can't just let the dog go. So what are we like, what are we going to do with this dog? And the like best friends and that sort of thing were closed and the only option was LA Animal Services which I, it's not great but like they'll at least hold the dog for a while and they're open 24 hours which is the good thing so if you find a dog you can bring it in and they will take it off your hands That's pretty nice and we were afraid like mm, but, you know they'll keep it for like eight days maybe but yeah keep it for eight days and then my new thing is the pet mortuary <laughs> that's my new thing the and it's gotta go stay with H.H. Holmes for a while if you know what I mean in his Wizard of Oz torture dungeon <laughs> we thought like let's just try one more time driving around the neighborhood yeah. that we found it in and we did and then it was like 10.30 at night at that point yeah. and I didn't want to be pulling up to these women walking on the street yeah. in my car like you looking for a lost yeah. dog you looking for a dog you looking for a friend you lose your friend you want to see this dog I have in the back seat <laughs> so we couldn't find any but even then Melissa googled the address and it got tied to like this lady's dead so uh-huh. that's why her phone isn't Jeez. being picked up but she has this other address in uh-huh. Studio City and she like managed to track down oh that's the address we found the dog at and I knocked on the door and the people were like oh my god my dog I love my dog <laughs> so that's the story of Judy Rainbow but if it hadn't been for Melissa finding these people and those people being home we would have had to bring it to LA Animal Services I can't tell you how many times I've had to save people's dogs that just <laughs> dogs running yeah. around on the street with no collar or anything people just don't notice yeah the day will pass like didn't I have a didn't thing I, to feed wasn't there a thing that used to defecate everywhere <laughs> it's just nice to know that there's something that you can take lost yeah. dogs to even it, like I said it's not a great solution but it's a solution it's, it's a solution which and is it's, good they can hold it for a while while you put up signs in that neighborhood because if you didn't find something for that dog that night that would have been it like you can't bring it back here I can't bring it here my sister didn't want it my parents don't want it because yeah. they already have a dog you're saying I could have brought it to you but you could have brought it to me I have a house and a warm heart I've got a cold house and a warm heart (laughs) so is Melissa officially a pet detective now that she was able to track down the owners she's got the hair gel she bought a bunch of hair gel Uh and Hawaiian shirts to get in the mood she has a certain phrase that she likes to scream at people something like about being okay or all right I don't I don't remember remember wait which is which is his all righty all right that's right I'm thinking I was thinking of Matthew McConaughey all righty all righty all righty (laughs) all righty all righty then somebody all right (laughs) the amount of people doing that impersonation as a kid I didn't like Ace Ventura when I was a kid. Didn't like people doing impersonations. And I, it went away and then was immediately replaced with Austin Powers. Yeah. I think there was a... Well, it must be an age thing because yeah. you're significantly older than me. But I loved Ace Ventura. Yeah. But then when not Ace Ventura, Ace Ventura, British Spy, whatever yeah, it's called. Detective, yeah. When that came out, I was at the age of like, I cannot stand. Yeah. yeah I yeah, cannot yeah. stand this at all. Maybe it's just Michael Myers, but I also can't stand Shrek, even though I insist on having Shrek jokes. And, Did you um, catch your mistake or do you want to just leave it in here? No. 
I think the serial killer is the one in those movies. <laughs> fictional serial killer? He's not so fictional when he's on screen. Is he not named Michael Myers also? Mike Myers. He's, a clear distinction. I go by his SAG name. I'll never call him what he really <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, I'll, I'll never do that. I'll never do that for him. I'm going by his Canadian name. His, Can- his Christian Canadian name. Yeah. So what did you do in the past? I saved a dog. What'd you do? <laughs> I love a doggo. Um, <laughs> I threw this dog out. Some sort of former singer or movie <laughs> name. I don't know. Munchkin dog. I don't know. What did I do? I don't know if I did a lot that's not going to interfere with our listener question later i've been going on some walks through elysian park what i like to call the hobo trails which was what locals call it other people call like the elysian sunset (laughs) trail or something like that but it's very nice it's a it's a beautiful walk it takes you from the edge of the elysian heights i think it's like on valentine or avon one of those streets and it kind of leads you through and you can walk clear like there's a path that pretty much leads to like douglas which is closer to like dodger stadium and stuff so you're walking towards testing site Dodger Stadium? Yeah, yeah, the, the former stadium, the former Chavez Ravine, now testing center for COVID-19, soon to be Subbonic Center of the greater Los Angeles area. What a nightmare. I can't think of one picture that would encapsulate everything better is the Dodgers playing in Dodger Stadium. On one side of the parking lot, people are getting tested for coronavirus, and on the other side, they're turning in their mail-in ballots. There's a roar from the crowd, but the crowd is in the parking lot because some guy got out of his car when they told him not to. There's three different games going on. <laughs> a swing and a vote. <laughs> not quite. Ever heard a swing boat it's too hot though to go walking the one thing we had which mm-hmm. was walking is now almost impossible to do because yeah. of the weather so we have nothing i prayed that quarantine wouldn't bleed into the heat wave but it's the it's this forever now i, I don't I, think it's ever gonna end i knew it would be going this long i was hoping the heat wave wouldn't be as bad as it why why last summer why would last the, summer was not that bad last summer was pretty bad it was significantly it was shorter but the bad days were really bad there, there i were, didn't die did i Last year was like three days of really bad weather, but this has been like 30 days of pretty bad weather. Anyways, I didn't do much. I think I already said before that I had gone on a walk through Legion Park as my thing of the month, but you know what? We in? What uh, is if, this? If even? we're just repeating stuff, can I just say that I'm still watching movies on Canopy and Hoopla every day? That's pretty cool. I'm not crying every day. <laughs> That's a slight change. Oh, you know what we did this month? We both did. We had Langers for the first time. That's true. It was delicious. It was good. I had to leave my car as a down payment, but it it was so good. One of the best sandwiches I've ever had in my life. That was fun. You treated us to, you brought us some langers here. I still, like, with all takeout, like, I, it's not the same as just sitting there and eating it. Yeah, 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 for sure. But, like, I can wait until it closes and wish that I had ever had one of their sandwiches. That's or. true, yeah. I feel like pizza and Chinese food are fine yeah. takeout as they are in a restaurant, yeah. but like not being able to sit there at Langer's and getting yelled at by the waitresses yeah. because I, I asked for a half sour pickle instead of a exactly. one quarter sour. I, I missed out you making a sound when the bill came and you're like, what? We're missing out on being in the middle of MacArthur Park. Yeah. You up a strami or a needle? <laughs> I was watching Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and they filmed the scene at MacArthur Park and they make it look like a normal place to be yeah. at night and i'm like how do they pull that off did they just like arrest everybody that night and we're like we got to film a movie get val Kilmer in here quick the same way they film volcano okay so let's uh we're gonna do the listener question at the end but let hey i completely forgot let's welcome our new patreon people for oh, yeah. this month what we have this month drum roll <laughs> greg's mom 
Greg's mom, <laughs> yeah. that lady, that sweet old lady. She's not old. That sweet lady. You're so mean to your mom. I didn't say it. You did. Remember? She can tell her voices apart. She <laughs> said that before. Uh, hi, welcome. Welcome. Mom. Welcome to the fan club, mother. Uh, you're gonna be getting less postcards than everybody else because I'll be like, I didn't get her. I'll just, I'll just, call, I'll give her a call. I'll send her a text yeah, this message. This is how she gets you to call her. Yeah. For five dollars a month, I don't even need the postcard. <laughs> just tell me you love me once a month. So yeah, thanks to Greg's mom for thanks, uh, thanks supporting us on Patreon. The rest of you, what better time than now to make us buy stamps from the post office and yep. give them money sign up for patreon also our shirts are still available this is coming out on the first two days ago we God, what do they call it Took we did over. a takeover we, for uh we commandeered we commandeered the, we the instagram for we hijacked <laughs> took over the Instagram of the Museum of Neon Art in uh, Mona in Glendale. Mm. So they'll probably have that saved on their Instagram if you want to check that out. Let's get into the actual episode right now. This month we're going to be talking about... Drumroll. Greg's mom! Born in 19... I have no idea what year she was born. Born in 2010. We're going to be talking about the early days of the Sunset Strip because there's no episode that could... There is, but it would be far too long yeah it would be too much work to ask daniel to do what wow what whoa oh my god the hellscape is back we covered some of the bigger clubs on the sunset strip in yeah. its heyday which was like what 30s 40s 30s 40s a little bit of 50s but yeah the, yeah. the sort of like gangster casino yeah underground sort of not underground but like things happened underground right right, right. guy mcafee and vice and prostitution and all that yeah. stuff so tommy guns to uh, fedoras <laughs> uh, there's gonna be big coats there's gonna be guys smoking cigars named like charlie oh charlie's here everybody charlie yeah, yeah, yeah. and you pat him on the back too hard you're like why do you hit him that hard and you don't even really know him you met at a dinner party one time all Italian gangster movies are like this all that Neville Parmesan strapped behind a <laughs> toilet box all that and more on this episode of uh, Yeehaw cool guys named Johnny or Vinny or Charlie but the, yeah this is the that era which was the first iteration of the Sunset Strip was it, it wasn't like oh I'm gonna let's put on really thick cologne and go sweat all over Van Halen this is the other oh I traded my acoustic guitar for a weed cigarette that's uh, the third format that's that is the third the, no, iteration that's the second format that's the second format format third one we're talking about van halen is the third and then after that it's all those gross punks with safety pins in their ears who would smell like urine and then after that river phoenix dies in front of the viper room and i'm traumatized as the kid and then it's all hustler from there <laughs> on out. so yeah the earlier days of the sunset strip some might say the most glamorous the ones yeah. with the least amount of drugs but probably plenty of drugs. others there was probably just like less kinds of drugs less drugs because they weren't invented yeah yet. exactly they were still working on it the country's finest scientists were working on ecstasy at the time you want to sell me cocaine i have two bottles of coca-cola right here pal that's kitty stuff tell me about the sunset Strip. yeah so i'm gonna first i'm gonna cover we're gonna get into three clubs in particular that were sort of the big three let's start with uh how the street came to be in okay. general the sunset strip as we don't know it now but as we used to know it yes is this the little girl i carried is this the little boy at play i don't remember growing older when did they when did she get to be a beauty when did he grow to be so tall wasn't it yesterday when they were small sunrise sunset boulevard somebody hasn't seen fiddler on the roof i haven't seen fiddler on the roof well you're I mean, about i know to that now. there was a roof once and a fiddler stood upon it that was maybe the most ridiculous one you've ever done because i knew i wanted to do that and i'm like boy i'm like four lyrics into this that don't have anything to do with the half joke that i was trying to make but hey <laughs> I, I, I think that after that i'm expecting something very different from fiddler on the roof go ahead sunrise sunset boulevard i could just start with that you uh could, yeah <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. Now we've but got where's the mania? Where's the <laughs> manic behavior? How do I showcase my disorders? We get paid by the edit point. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so, 
so oh, come on. Here we go. Um, when did they build a freeway next to your apartment complex? I swear to God, you make that joke. You, you get mad at me for my sunrise sunset joke. You make that joke every single month, and I cut it out. It's I solid. It out. Maybe you'll leave this one on. Maybe you'll trip up, leave this one. And people are like, whoa, why, why, why holding back, Greg? Sunset Boulevard had a very humble, shtetl-like beginning. The earliest street along the general path that Sunset now follows existed as early as 1780. Imagine the billboards back then. <laughs> 1780, where were we at that point? We were, we were still, still Spain. Spanish. Come what? to the mission. The Don't ask questions, who built her? Listen to Andres Pico's hottest new album. Yeah. A Spanish Angeline had giant <laughs> billboards on there. She was Angelino. She's driving a pink. Pink puro. It was used to connect the Pueblo mm-hmm. to the ranches that were further west. And then it went even further still to the ocean. And it was originally called Bellevue Street. Okay. With some sections of it were known as Short Street, Bread Street, which I read like Shortbread Street. <laughs> and Marshasalt Street, which was, okay. what was he, one of the mayors or something? Yeah. Something like that. The road that became Sunset itself originally started on a hill in Hollywood where a U.S. senator named Cornelius Cole lived in the late 1800s. So driving down this road gave him good views of the sunset. So right. the name of the street was born Good Views Avenue. <laughs> the first official mention of Sunset Boulevard was in 1888. That's the first time it was okay. ever officially referred to in like the, the city annals, if you yeah. were. It's believed that the name was given by some random city employee who liked the view on it. I think that's the best legacy I can aspire to now is yeah. random city employee who named an iconic street. Yeah. But we don't remember what his name is. No. And it, it's so simple why he named it and so obvious that it would have been named that anyways by somebody David else. David Sunset. You laugh. That's how I feel about Silver Lake. By the way, did you see the new plans they have for Silver Lake? No. The reservoir looks really like I've yeah. been. I keep saying like, "Wow, Silver Lake is really ugly," and you keep saying, "No, it's not." It's not. But the new plan they have really nice. They, it's not a giant chain link fence surrounded by some old tar that you can walk on. Uh, you're being really mean. I guess because I grew up around Echo Park Lake. That I, I thought it was a beautiful description of the reservoir. Yeah. yeah and then yeah, you're yeah. like, it's named after like Jasper Silver. What? A city employee who really liked silver. <laughs> the new plans look. Those fences aren't there. It's going to be almost like a marsh parts of it where you okay. can like walk through the marsh on these wooden planks. Cool. Great place to dump bodies. Yeah. So it only stretched as far as Laurel Canyon, this Sunset okay. Boulevard, until 1906 because from there west is where city life was no more. Right. That's where Los Angeles ended. This was part of a town known as Sherman and this part west of Laurel Canyon was a 240-acre ranch owned by a Belgian banker named Victor Ponnet. He had his house at what is now Sunset and Sunset Plaza Drive and he grew avocado and poinsettias until wow. 1906 when Sunset Boulevard 1906 that's when it got extended through his property and this particular area became known as Hacienda Park which covered from Sweetser to what is now La Cienega. This stretch of Sunset Boulevard though was still just dirt and gravel. It was also an unincorporated part of Los Angeles that was surrounded by city land on all sides. Okay. So because of that it was labeled the name as a few other dozen sections around the city like that where it's like city, 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 city but in the middle of that is county unincorporated oh, land. Weird. So so there were several of these areas. Those were known as county strips. So since it was still Sunset Boulevard, though, this stretch of road became known as the Sunset Strip, okay. and it just stuck forever. The first recorded reference to the Sunset Strip was in the LA Times in 1935, but in 1937, there was a contest held by the Hollywood Citizen News to give a new nickname to the area, and the winner... Drumroll. 
Greg's mama. <laughs> You're mean. You got to fight me now. Add it to the list of fights I have to get into at the end of coronavirus. Stop looking at your phone. My mom said, is someone talking about me? And I need to just tell her that. No, mother. No, I mother. defended you to the hilt. She's in a rocking chair right now in an old castle. In, a, in the, in the fruit cellar. <laughs> because it's the coolest place to be right now. So the winner of this contest was the Sunset 80s. Say it again. The Sunset 80s. 80s. Like, well, like between it was, 70s and 90s. Don't touch that dial. <laughs> because of the address numbers in that stretch of the Sunset oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what it should have been called in the Van Halen time. But <laughs> the winner was paid $25 because it tells people where we are. That's a close quote. Yeah. Why don't you just name it the longitude and latitude numbers? The, the Sunset 35 degree <laughs> 47 inch inch. Yeah. It, it that Like, who? no. Yeah, no one called creative. it that. Yeah, Nobody wants to call it that. Did a, did a calculator name it? Turn it upside down, though. Uh-oh. Dirty. Then you, then you got the Sunset Strip in the 70s. Hey, calculator, you're nasty. Is that where that's gonna be my new catchphrase? You like it? Keep watching me sunset strip, and you'll see what a calculator can say backwards. Oh my god, you're nasty! Boobs. So what exactly is considered to be the strip uh-huh. is now seriously protected, like how champagne isn't champagne unless it's from Champagne. Like it's you're not, it's not the Sunset Strip unless you're between this street and this. Yeah, street. it's where the movie theater is. What is that? Crescent Heights. The consensus seems to be that it's the roughly 1.7 mile stretch of Sunset from Sweetser to Doheny Road. Uh. But I also heard that Schwab's Pharmacy was part of the strip, and yeah. that was where the Laugh Factory now is, which was a few block east of that. I think officially it's, uh, what did I say, Sweetser to Doheny. Like, that's the mm, strip. Then, I'm going to contest. Uh, then you're just drinking sparkling wine. You're not <laughs> drinking champagne. I'm sorry. Buddy, champagne is Crescent Heights to Doheny. And then maybe a block more to that liquor no, store there. No, no, no. You're that's eating, the official end. That's you're, not eating, you're eating blue cheese. You're not eating blue cheese. You don't even know. You don't even live the life of a, of a sunset stripper, you know? That's what we're <laughs> called, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's what we all agree. That's I won the contest. Yeah. They paid me $25 to refer to myself as a Sunset That's Stripper. Because if you don't count Crescent Heights, you're missing Chateau Maman. I don't think they're considered part of the Sunset Strip. <laughs> Wait, did you see that they're oh becoming not a hotel anymore? Yeah, also. I saw that. We didn't tell you. We tried to go to the last bookstore and they wanted to charge us a cover fee to get in. Five bucks. It was That's this guy who didn't like work there and he patted my pockets and he's like, five bucks to get in. <laughs> it's this guy. He was in the alley out back. He had yeah. a knife and he was trying to grab Ada's pearls. Yeah. And my son was there. He's like, I'm, I'm Batman. I'm like, easy kid. That's ridiculous. Because I know that, you know, like book people yeah. have complained Do about. Again? Hang on. Let me try to capture this He did this uh, on quotes audio. with his fingers, by the way, and roll his eyes. <laughs> Open quote, book people, close quote. We were talking before this about another podcast who yeah. does history who, whenever they start a quote, they say, quote, book people close quote but anyway like i know that people complain that the last bookstore is more about like come look at our tunnel of books look yeah. at how our books are organized by color but you know if you're trying like do you have the treaties on this this like they don't have it but yeah. that just it just confirms how they feel yeah that now you have to pay to come see the attractions inside of the bookstore i like to call last bookstore my uh my lee bracket store because i have a bunch of lee bracket paperbacks for really cheap but other than that i'm like oh, why would i buy a f- $50 book yeah, that there's, from the library down the street. There's, there's really good stuff there. But yeah, like I remember last time I went there, we went to the upstairs area, which isn't like, it's not the glamorous area. And yeah. boy, was it not organized at all. Anyway, so what's the big deal with the Sunset Strip? Yes. So what's the big deal with me stripping on Sunset? <laughs> the name itself is the key. Since it was a strip, a county strip, it was not part of LA City, which meant it was under county jurisdiction. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Vernon rules apply, buddy. If you're not making hot dogs, it's legal. (laughs) So it was under county jurisdiction, which meant that the LAPD were not allowed to operate 
there. They yeah. couldn't cross. The badge doesn't work here, pal. You don't need no stinking badges. Yeah. You do need a lot of money, though, to, yeah, b- to buy a off. Gun. And a friend who's a judge. Right. <laughs> Maybe a dame to die for. Um, <laughs> they couldn't go past Crescent Heights. The LAPD could not. I mean, they, it's almost like it's the start of it, huh? If it's past Crescent Heights, almost like it's the that's beginning where, of the strip. That's where the county ended. <laughs> that's not where the strip began. There's the nether region, and then you get to the strip. <laughs> I gotta go home. <laughs> I gotta go do something illegal on Crescent Heights and see what happens. So it was sheriff territory, but sheriff tour territory sheriff tory have you ever met sheriff territory <laughs> he is boy is he brutal <laughs> sheriff territory was so big how yeah. big was he uh greg's mama how B- dare you I, I by the way i do not mean any of this i love your mom oh i know i i know that we're joking around yes uh, and I, I i'll do play digs at your parents too sometimes yeah. and I'm, i just want you to know that like I, but but your mom listens and i hope she doesn't because i care oh. very deeply for her okay we'll see how deeply uh, so. <laughs> put it all in the postcard this one all the stuff you said about her and then greg is so sorry for what he said in this episode okay so sheriff territory he was so big <laughs> it, how big was she it was so big <laughs> that in la at the time the sheriff's department was also the sheriff's department was so small i, yeah. I don't know who i'm insulting anymore the, yeah. the sheriff's how terri- small was he sheriff territory was so big sheriff department is so small it was impossible to try to keep tabs on everybody in county because you're like yeah. aside from just like you know this area of sunset you're also santa clarita yeah, most yeah, parts yeah, yeah. of the west everything was county we went to um we were staying in victorville for the week and we went to wrightwood which is like closer to the mountains as part of the mm-hmm. san gabriel valley we were like only 30 minutes away from victorville and we turned a corner to just like make a u-turn and it said alley county line i'm like that's far away <laughs> they got me that yeah it's crazy how yeah. far because isn't like it's palmdale or lancaster lancaster is alley county that's insane yeah that's it's so far it's <laughs> It's yeah. like two hours to get yeah. there. Oh, Lancaster to uh, like Long Beach or whatever. Yeah. It's like half of the state is Los Angeles. Well, we have Owens Valley also, yeah. so we're expanding. Well, that's right. We have whatever area Manzanar and Owens Valley is on. You can't keep tabs on everything. Yeah. And so instead of trying, they just didn't. <laughs> I have a new plan. We were a little stretched a little thin. I've yeah. got a solution. Yeah. Give up. They had like a meeting with donuts and stuff and everybody everybody got there early and the, they got dressed and combed their hair. They're spreading butter on top of their donuts. <laughs> you see how we don't have enough butter to go on this donut. So everybody Everybody open up your binders. We're going to go over the new plan, but there's not even binders. <laughs> but, but sir, where are our binders? <laughs> we don't need those stinking binders. When the area first became less farms and more city, but not actually city, there were a few restaurants. I'm talking about the Sunset Strip again. Yeah. Like the Nut Kettle and Hamburger Jack's, which sound like restaurant names that would fit in perfectly today in West Hollywood. Yeah. I think but Hamburger Jack's had a really good neon sign or a good Probably. Sign. I want to see the Nut Kettle. <laughs> I wonder if Hamburger Mary's is some sort of reference to Hamburger Jack's. Possibly. We'll never know. We'll we'll never know because everything's closed forever. What people realized quickly was the Sunset Strip was the wild west of the city and there weren't really any laws on the Sunset Strip. This started to attract places that need to operate outside the law, such as speakeasies and brothels and casinos and places where members of the LGBTQ community could hang out without being harassed. So that's also how West Hollywood kind of became a gay neighborhood is because originally it was legal. Yeah. Or at least you wouldn't be killed. Exactly. You, they w- you wouldn't get arrested. It wasn't illegal, but uh, you, uh, I'm sure a bunch of thugs would still probably uh, chase you. What, you think a bunch of mobsters from the East Coast have a problem with gay people? Have I mean, you like, seen The Sopranos? I don't wanna- 
I don't like to generalize, but I'm going to say a bunch of macho guys are probably uneasy at best. <laughs> You're telling me <laughs> that Frankie never would kiss a man has a problem with gay people. So at first, a lot of these places were just operated out of people's houses in the hills, but then dedicated clubs started opening. Yeah. And since Holly- we're tired of you wanting to go to bed, we're tired of parking all of our cars I, in one garage. It's getting a little weird that you're sleeping with all of these ladies of the night on my duvet. <laughs> so since Hollywood was just starting to come into its own around this time, all the movie stars had to drive through this strip on their way from the studios, their work at the studios in Hollywood to their homes in Beverly Hills. Yeah. It quickly became the place for celebrities right. to hang out. It was convenient and it was lawless so you could do anything. Then two talent agents named Victor Orsati and Milton Bren moved their office in at 9000 Sunset and that started drawing other showbiz people to open up their offices because they knew this is where stars wanted to hang out and also I believe they didn't have to pay business taxes okay. since it wasn't it part wasn't of the city. city. Yeah. Then in 1924 a development known as the English Village brought more businesses and also that year came four Georgian revival buildings built by Povet who used to own the land his son-in-law Francis Montgomery that later became known as Sunset Plaza Okay, that went on to house the first place I'll be talking about but also the Russian Eagle Cafe run by our old friend Theodore Lodajensky oh wow his restaurant was in the Sunset Plaza okay. so then in 1920 1920- no. What? Thinking, no, I'm trying to remember his nickname, but Theodore Lodi. Or the real Michael Romanoff. <laughs> then, which is my weird Al parody of uh, <laughs> the real Slim Shady. It's a deep cut. Then in 1925, the whole area rebranded as West Hollywood to play up their new celebrity appeal and cash in on the real Hollywood glamour. And it yeah. worked and more celebrities started moving there permanently, such as the most glamorous celebrity of all, Lon Chaney. Junior the, or senior? Uh, senior. Not of a thousand faces? Yeah. Not, not of a thousand houses? <laughs> so then in 1929 came the Sunset Tower Hotel where a bunch more celebrities moved into. So it was a happening place, which is crazy to think about because the strip wasn't even paved until 1937. Weird. <laughs> Imagine like Cary Grant going to a club on a gravel road. I know. Uh, like uh, you're standing outside in this beautiful gown, yeah. impeccable makeup, and then just like a dust cloud comes yeah. and then out pops like Bella Lugosi. Yeah. What? <laughs> Well, he always pops out of a dust cloud. But <laughs> you yeah, were a it, bat when you parked. Uh, no, I wasn't. No. I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, imagine like your your Errol Flynn is yeah. walking to a club, and all of a sudden it starts raining, and he's well, he would love that. He to yeah. pig that man, but um, a t- legend pig, a legendary <laughs> alleged pig. But what was really drawing people in were dens of vice, and everyone knew it. It was said that the legal gambling that was going on in the Sunset Strip was quote. As secret as the Washington Monument. Pretty funny. What's that? Where? Where is it? What better place to start than my first place? So here we go. Here we go. I'm ready. This is my first club that I'm getting to. I troca dare you to ignore the history of the trocadero. But first I'm going to tell you to... I don't even remember what I wrote here. First I'm going to tell you the history of La Boheme. (laughs) I need like when you have your bar mitzvah, when you're reading from the Torah, there's like accent marks that tell you how you're supposed to sing it. That's what I need (laughs) on my notes when I'm (laughs) writing. You need to have a a piece of sheet music with you. Hang on. Let me cue up the orchestra. (laughs) Okay. So it starts in one of the places I just mentioned, those four Georgian revival buildings built by Francis Montgomery that eventually became Sunset Plaza. So they were designed by Edwin Bergstrom, those buildings, who also did the Roslyn Hotel and the LA Athletic Club, which is really nice. Is really nice, yeah. Not to be confused with George Edwin Bergstrom, who designed the Pentagon, like I confused the two when I freaked out for five minutes as if I had just uncovered the story of the century. <laughs> I was so excited. Guys, has anyone connected the dots on this? <laughs> Hang on. They opened on September 11th. <laughs> hmm. You uh, can't melt steel. 
wasn't there an actor's name whose name was Steel? A no. pornography star. Yeah, that must be what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Can't melt his steel. Yeah. Um, the building the building at 8614 Sunset, at first, this was just an old roadhouse place to get food. But in January 1927, it reopened as a place called Cafe La Boheme. It was owned by a former opera singer named Joe Borgia. And it became one of the first clubs on the strip that functioned as a speakeasy for the stars. It was okay. one of the first ones. Like I said, this area drew in all the celebrities who wanted to have fun outside the law of LA. And La Boheme soon became known as the rendezvous of the stars all eight of them yeah we've got all of your stars lillian gish lon cheney <laughs> senior lillian gish the other gish <laughs> um, we've got mary pickford we've got douglas fairbanks and a bunch of other people who've held and microphones the, yeah. over them we've got that guy whose all copies of his movies were melted down to turn into bullets <laughs> during the war it could hold around 350 people this place but in 1932 they closed but quickly reopened as club labo m now but now there was a new guy involved we don't who, serve coffee anymore <laughs> we serve clubs but now there was a new guy involved who is way more interesting than the, the whole last iteration this yeah. second version is more interesting give his name some drama some places said that this guy was the new owner others that he was just the performer who opened the place up after the revamping but either way he bears mentioning george francis paduzzi <gasps> I thought you were going to say another name. Billy Wilkerson. Billy, Don't Billy. ruin it. No, this was before Billy Wilkerson. So okay. this is George Francis Paduzzi, born June 13th, 1897 in Baltimore. He eventually made his way up to New York and in May 1919 did his first performance in what we now call drag. Oh, okay. So he was an early drag performer. Cool. This was a time in New York where something called the pansy craze was happening, where people were, they were just like obsessed with gay clubs and gay performers oh, and, okay. and gay lifestyle. Kind of like now, like there's not that it's ever really ended, but now like drag is a really big thing. It was yeah. like the original sort of mania for everyone wants to go see a drag show, gay or straight, whatever. So Paduzzi got in just at the right time for the pansy craze and hit it big with his stage persona, Carol Norman. That's what he went by. I bet that name was pretty fly back in the day, and everybody got it. Like, oh, I get it. That's a pun on another name, but that person's dead, and we don't know. Their film reels were all melted down. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know if, like, it just sounds like an old lady's name at this point. It does. It sounds a little, (laughs) yeah. It's got the same rhythm as Carol Lombard. He did one particular impression, but he was a star on the Orpheum circuit and had a big show called Glorifying the American Boy Girl. Cool. And he also wrote his own songs and had a great voice that was described as lusty masculine. Like Leonard Cohen. Yeah. My favorite drag performer, <laughs> Leonard Cohen. I'm trying to think of a, a drag version of Leonard Cohen's name. Leonard Let Cohen. Her, <laughs> Let her Cohen. His right hand woman was his mom who made all of his dresses and traveled to all of his shows with him. He became something of an alternative star and because of his predilection towards Southern songs and his unfortunate history of minstrel shows, he got the moniker of the Creole Belle or the Creole Fashion Plate, okay. which again, I don't know what that's like a reference to. The Creole Fashion Plate? What yeah. does that mean? I don't know. I do know that uh, what this means, Groucho Marx used to make fun of him by calling him the queer old fashion plate. Oh, okay. Yeah. That but, doesn't even see, sound good when he zings it. Let me have uh, Groucho Marx's drag name. Groucho Stretch Marx. Um, um, that's pretty good. Come back to me in 30 minutes. I'll work on it. Just like keep talking. I'll be ignoring you and only thinking about Groucho yeah. um, Marx. Um, he eventually made his way to Hollywood where he, we're talking about the Creole fashion plate now. He made his way to Hollywood where he used to perform on shows with Milton Berle. Oh, wow. To which Berle's mom warned him to stay away from the homosexual. Unfortunately, 
fortunately for a guy like Burl, it was hard to stay away from anything. <laughs> yeah, help it. And Milton Burl's, uh, he didn't need a drag name. He was the drag. Did you ever do, oh, we did watch when we were at Ed's house, uh, the I Love Lucy episode where he does drag. I feel like he did it all the time. Probably. It's better when the Creole fashion plate does it. It's, uh, I'm a bigger fan of when Bugs Bunny does it. I think it's pretty cool. Bugs Honey. So on September 21st, 1932, La Boheme was now either owned by Carol Norman or just open to a long engagement by Carol Norman, okay. like as the main performer. Yeah, as the house actor. Or yeah, that? and he was a, a huge hit. He was famous for doing a Joan Crawford impression. Oh, okay. Which he got to do in front of Joan Crawford. Get who, out. Back when that was a thing. She approved it. Yeah, isn't that so weird? Yeah. Where I'm going to do my Buster, and Keith, Buster my Bust, Keaton impersonation. I'm going to do my Buster and my Keaton. <laughs> yeah, my Buster Keaton impression in front of Buster Keaton. Yeah. It's just two people staring at each other, sadly. Love it. He also had a backup dancer named Laverde, uh-huh. who was described as doing a mean rumble and is plenty of hot cha when it comes to appearance. Oh. So I, I'm, I'm starting to wonder, like, I wonder if some of these reviewers knew that these were men or not. I'm sure that was sold that way. It had to be. I don't know. It had to be like... I, I don't know. I wasn't there. Hey, hey, hey. No, 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 no. I mean, I'm, I, I'm not, you know. <laughs> That's why they call me Daniel Never Explores Sexuality. So La Boheme ended up becoming one of the first bars on the strip to cater to the gay community. But even in this lawless part of town, there were still some crackdowns. And in early 1934, the place was raided. One place to described it as a gun battle. Oh, jeez. But I think it was just a raid and yeah. it closed for good. It reopened briefly on June 6, 1934 as a place called Chateau Trianon. Oh. But that didn't last, which leads us to the main event. <laughs> Prohibition was recently over and the building that used to be La Boheme was recently empty and the morals of a one, drum roll, Mr. Billy Wilkerson. Billy. Billy Wilkerson. Wilkerson, big dick himself. His morals were even more empty than the empty Lobo M. What makes you empty when your dad sends you into crippling debt? You'll get into him a little bit more, but remember that this is the guy who ran The Hollywood Reporter. We covered that in the magazine episode. Wilkerson, spoiler alert, had been doing some bootlegging during Prohibition. Right. And now that it was over, he had all this champagne that he didn't know what to do with from actual champagne region. When when you drink it in the actual Sunset Strip region. He didn't know what to do with all this champagne, so he decided to buy the old Lobo M building as a storage space okay. for all of his Whoa. champagne. Like, that's how much champagne Jeez. But with so much primo real estate for a bootlegger's leftover inventory of champagne, he thought, why not bootleg some people in here to drink said champagne? Yeah. So he decided he was going to turn this place back into a club for glamorous people to enjoy. But what do glamorous people like? French things. So he decided to redo the place with a new French theme. And to do this, he hired George Vernon Russell, who also did the expansion of the Natural History Museum in Mm -hmm. LA, and would go on to do the Flamingo Hotel in Las Vegas also. And he hired Harold Grieve, who is an art director in early Hollywood, who had done The Thief of Baghdad, among a lot of other things. So the inside was completely redone with chandeliers and striped silk chairs and satin couches and the Paris skyline painted on the walls. Dog poo everywhere, all over the floofs. And that's part of the the decor. You've been to France, right? Uh, Did I? Hang on. You know, I used to live in France. You know, I used to live in France and drink uh, warm beverages with no ice. It's called water. There was the, f- the stuff I wash my car with? We wash our cars with champagne in France. That's why it's so good. Ah, uh, mamma mia. Mamma mia. Which is- <laughs> I told you I lived in France. There was the French grill in this place and the main dining room that was painted cream and gold, complete with padded walls and a shiny dance floor and a bandstand. There was the starlight veranda patio that overlooked Hollywood. And there was also the sidewalk cafe outside, which may have been the first place in LA to offer alfresco dining. Wow, really? Yeah. It's funny to be in LA where the air makes 
makes you healthy and you're like, I want to be inside. Outside <laughs> on anymore. a beautiful day. Well, I mean, if you don't do it now, how are people going to see you eating? You're not going to get discovered. Since all the actors can't go to open mics anymore, if they're all eating al fresco. So that- Since the actors can't sing at open mics anymore. <laughs> so the best way I can describe this place is sumptuous. So now that it was all designed, it was time to open. And what better way for Mr. Showbiz, corrupt Billy Wilkerson, to do this than by bribing and blackmailing David O. Selznick's brother to throw a private party there. Wow. You're going to have a party, see? And it's going to have champagne. Or else everybody's going to know. You voted for women's rights to vote. (laughs) Uh, Please don't. This was either September 17th or 18th, 1934. And it was a huge to-do and is considered the creation of the Sunset Strip as we know it. This opening night, this party. So this was the opening of Cafe Trocadero or the Troc Mm -hmm. as it came to be known. And the address was now 8610 Sunset Boulevard in the heart of the Sunset Strip. It went off great, but the problem was the popularity of this place dropped off immediately the next day because they weren't being blackmailed to go there. It was just a flash in the pan, so Wilkerson needed to do something to create a lure and make people want to come here. So, of course... So he shot all calendars. That way people didn't know what day it was. Therefore, the party's still going on. This party will never end. Lock the doors. (laughs) So, of course, Wilkerson started it off with some trickery. He decided that he would keep the front doors closed. (laughs) I wasn't wrong. And everybody gets chained up. (laughs) Go calling to your brother now, Mr. O'Sellsman. <laughs> and um, don't go home until you drink all the champagne and give me $50,000. So he closed all the doors and he put velvet ropes along the sidewalk leading up to it as if some huge exclusive event was about to happen. Right. And apparently this was the first place to ever do that. <laughs> To put up velvet ropes to make it seem like it's a, you know, oh my God, this shoe store must be really important. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On top of that, they told anybody who called them that they were fully booked for two weeks. And within days, people were lining up to get in and the place was packed from then on. Uh, These social experiments. You know, I saw a mule there the other day. Oh, I gotta go. I gotta go. I gotta go. I hear they put down fresh gravel on the road. (laughs) You know that joke about two rabbis that walk into a bar? This is the bar. I gotta go. I have to be there. Are the rabbis still there? (laughs) Are they hiring? Side note, this may have been the place that invented doggy bags for leftover food also really yeah is there a story there not just... very glamorous no there's no story well one time <laughs> one time Cary grant didn't finish his beef stroganoff so the trocadero had two things going for it the first was that it was on the sunset strip right that meant it fell out of la law so they weren't subject to the blue laws in la which forbade dancing on saturday nights right so you could lindy hop on over to the truck and cut a rug until your grandma told you an old saying that doesn't make sense anymore yeah. so the second thing was wilkerson like we covered he ran the Hollywood Reporter so what he thought of you could make you or destroy you or he could do both if he wanted to and since he wanted the Trocadero to be a high class celebrity focused place it benefited both parties to get on each other's good sides so stars could come to the Trocadero like Wilkerson wanted and in doing so they would be pretty much guaranteed to get a mention in the gossip pages of the Hollywood Reporter which they wanted it's like showing up to the last day of school (laughs) just to be seen that you showed up to make a good like I don't want to be here you don't want to be here but if you didn't yeah it was it's a real scratch your back i'll write about how itchy your back is yeah, yeah situation yeah. That's, everyone that's a less good way to put it but okay eh, well mine made sense he had special tables set aside for the top of the a-list and also for pr people what it really was was it was an extension of the star making machine that the hollywood reporter was a major piece in the right. studio would pick someone to be a star set them up on a fake date with someone else they picked to be a star send them to the trocadero get mentioned in the hollywood reporter people read the hollywood reporter to hear about it then people go see their movies because they read about them in the hollywood Reporter, repeat, doggy bag. I'll take my check in the car. Jack Benny said, Jack Benny, 
uh, the patron saint of touching your face, touching your own face, <laughs> and your friend's face. Yeah, said dining at the Troc was better than paying an expensive publicist. You, uh, you go there, and you're gonna get yeah, publicity. you're gonna get seen, like, and your name's gonna get in the paper, and then your career has three more months to live. Yeah, you, you're extended yeah, three more months. Yeah, that giant house you bought in San Luis Obispo, you can afford it for another week. Yeah, another week. And this was one of those places that, again, it's useless to name all the celebrities who ate there because they all ate there. They all ate there. But yeah. here we go: Fred Astaire, Lucy, and Desi. Harry Grant, Bing Crosby, Lana Turner, Tyrone Power, Gene Harlow. This is the class of celebrity that you could expect to find there any Saturday night. There's not too many pictures of it that still exist, but it was used in the 1937 version of A Star is Born and okay. also The Thin Man. They'd always go Oh, really? To. Yeah. They, oh, even, no they even sell Nick and Nora at the Cafe Trocadero cocktail glasses online. Really? That was like the bar of the thin man i gotta go to that place that doesn't gotta, exist anymore i gotta go down to sunset plaza yeah. you know just inside the sunset strip <laughs> this place in its prime was one of the hottest places in town to eat and drink and gossip and dance yeah it was as glamorous as hollywood ever was their food wasn't great but they were known for their trocadero cooler drink that was their signature drink That's what, whatever heroin <laughs> uh regular people and tourists ate here too but at night it would cost you 18 dollars which today is about 300 dollars to have a night at the Wow. Yeah. It's so funny that you said $18 and I knew like, okay, this is before Andy Griffith. $18 today? No. Very true. Uh, I was trying to think of a parking, like a, or a speeding ticket in yeah, Mayberry. It's like $10. And you're like, oh my God. And people are like, 10 He's going to lose the farm. <laughs> a cheaper alternative with a different atmosphere, though, was their downstairs bar. Uh-huh. Wilkerson set the it dungeon? up. The dungeon? <laughs> it was called that, right? The dungeon? Yeah, the kinky dungeon. <laughs> Left over from the Lobo M days. Down here, doggy bags be something else. <laughs> <laughs> we do doggy everything down here. <laughs> Wilkerson set it up because Norma Shearer complained that there should be a place where paparazzi and the press weren't allowed in. Oh, okay. So celebrities could have a less conspicuous night downstairs in yeah. the bar, which became Little Troc on Sunset. That's cute. It was designed as an American colonial sort of tavern was brass and wood with uh-huh. a, it was more of like a cozy casual place however the Trocadero did have its own in-house photographer who was allowed everywhere his name was Jaime Fink and he was literally everywhere at all times like you'd, you'd go to like blow your nose and yeah. oh my god Cary Grant blows it, his nose is he one of those people that like there's a portrait of an old president and the eyes come out and then Fink is in there like oh boy oh jeez yeah. you think that's a leftover stroganoff in your yeah. doggy bag it's Fink it's a camera it's Fink's it's camera it's a small it's camera Fink's it's Fink's saucy camera. <laughs> People would joke that when they go home, they check under their beds to make sure that Fink wasn't there. It's pretty funny. An- a lot of times he was, though. That's the yeah, problem. The, he got kind of wasn't a joke. He ended up in jail for life. Um, yeah. Another big draw at the Trocadero was their Sunday amateur hour shows, which right. was originally, uh, speaking of open mics, uh, <laughs> which was originally put on as a way to get around the laws against drinking and dancing on Sundays. Right. So like, well, they're dancing on stage on yeah. a Sunday. And it's they're not drinking. performance. They're, they're not. Yeah. They're not drinking. Yeah. They're praying. They trot out amateurs open mic style and if wilkerson didn't like you he'd yell get the hook and pull that son of a bitch off the stage wow but it grew into a pretty big deal that was attended by a bunch of talent agents uh-huh. some of the people whose careers got boosted here rita hayworth nat king cole got it phil silvers who isn't one of our patreon people he'll, right. he'll appreciate that joke jackie gleason <laughs> okay and judy garland Oh, all right. They were all early performers at the amateur hour here before they were stars. Did Judy Garland start there early in her career? Did you cover that in the Garland episode? Uh, maybe. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember what we did like two months ago. So yeah. Time. When did we talk about Judy? Who's Judy? Gar- I just know Judy Rainbow, <laughs> the dog I rescued. In just the first three years, this place took in $3.8 million. Shh. But of course- Back then, that was $18. 
<laughs> once you, you hit a tipping point, it folds back in on itself. But it's not real money if it's not from the money region of Sunset <laughs> Of course, Wilkerson just couldn't un-Wilkerson himself. This man, from my limited knowledge of this guy, is... Go ahead. Yeah, he's, go he's, ahead. He's, he's, just, he's everybody and himself's worst enemy. He's, he's spy versus spy, but they're one person. <laughs> he was Spy a, versus I. <laughs> that's my drag name. Um, he was a many... He was a man of many vices. I wrote he was a manny of many vices. <laughs> he was a man of many advices. He was um, a manny of Manny Pacquiao. He was a man of many vices except communism. <laughs> and gambling was one of his... Maybe the biggest. Yeah, probably the biggest. Bootlegging and gambling. Um, I'd say he bootlegged so he can get money to gamble. Bootlegging, which is a form of gambling, gambling with yeah. the law. On Saturday nights in the back room, he ran one of the highest stakes poker games I could ever imagine. In regular attendance, Carl Lemley, okay. Irving Thalberg, Daryl Zanuck, and Sam Goldwyn were playing poker with each other weekly. Just that they're gambling away their catalog of women. Yeah. I'll give you all the blondes my studio owns yeah. for, for just, one night with any Mannix. For one night with Tyrone Power. <laughs> and with all this gambling and vice that went on the strip of course came the mob men yeah wilkerson spoiler alert was connected so sorry connected so regulars (laughs) close quote (laughs) close quote uh end recording so regulars at the trocadero were people like of course bugsy siegel mickey cohen willie byoff tony the hat cornero and yay the hat with his gambling ships and an east yeah and an east coast guy named johnny roselli yeah he's a guy bring up a little bit i don't know if you covered this the legend says he was hired by the government to kill fidel castro but was convinced by castro in cuba to kill jfk instead whoa i didn't know i didn't people think he killed jfk wow um, bugsy siegel to remind everybody almost shot goebbels that's right and somebody had to talk <laughs> him down and it was not <laughs> anything related to nazism imagine or anti-semitism he just did not like the guy he's like i think i'm gonna break his neck imagine if these la gangsters took down fidel castro and joseph Ger- goebbels like they brought down communism and not imagine <laughs> and they were gangsters yeah and they were guys who just carried tommy guns to like the bakery <laughs> it didn't take long before wilkerson was in some serious debt to these guys and he wanted out of the truck the guy he went to, I'm, I think you probably dips into you, Nola Han. <laughs> yeah, Nola Han. Just a little bit. He was another mob guy who became known for running the Club Continental, which was a casino in Glendale that used to be a speakeasy called Airport Gardens. Um, he came... He, <laughs> We're a, we're an aerospace company. <laughs> like a kid just named two things. It's like, he's cute. Let's just call it Airport Gardens. <laughs> he came up with systems of watching over gamblers to make sure nobody was cheating. That included the concept of a pit boss. And his way of doing things are basically the way casinos are run now to prevent cheating. I get into it just a, like a sentence, but like Wilkerson and Han. Yeah, they created because Vegas. Yeah. yeah. He also happened to be running the gambling aspects of the Trocadero. And eventually pretty much all the gambling that happened on the Sunset Strip right. was done under his supervision he's the one who made the sunset strip las vegas before there was a las vegas right. so wilkerson was being extorted by the mob and he went to han for help who's also in the mob why would you go <laughs> who suggests- <laughs> it's like a pyramid scheme. like i'm also being extorted but i have to extort from you so well, yeah. Uh, yeah i'm a smaller brick in the yeah. in the wall <laughs> he suggested that insurance money from a fire would be the only way he could get out of this situation it's cartoonishly dumb but effective not long I got a crazy idea not long after this a fire started in the kitchen of the trocadero and got at the whole place and Wilkerson was out of the Trocadero. Dude, just leave. Oh, yeah. Okay. The man, you can't just leave because you need money. You'll, you'll if your... you just leave, you don't get insurance money. Yeah, you got to be driving a nice little wheelchair for the rest of your life. The man that Wilkerson sold the Trocadero to? Nola Hahn. <laughs> so, May 18th, 1938, the Trocadero reopened under the ownership of Nola Hahn and part of Wilkerson's conditions for the sale that he and his family could eat there for free whenever they wanted and have food delivered to his mom's house. <laughs> 
Cool. Right. Him and I, I think a lot of like, oh, if only I owned this Popeyes. <laughs> I could eat Popeyes for forever. Free. Yeah, and I could have it delivered to my mom's house. The, the singer at this reopening was Mary Martin, who went on to originate the lead roles in both South Pacific and The Sound of Music on Broadway. Wow, really? She, she, was, she was Maria and whoever, Nelly? Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Maria. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Maria. Am I doing musicals I right? I think you're singing like a Sesame Street song and then yelling some sort of West Side Story lyric after it. It's not a Sesame Strong. Sesame, Sesame Street Strong. strong. So, it's America from West Side Story, but instead of saying America, I'm saying Mary. 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 Maria. Maria. Mahan didn't last long, and after some vice crackdowns that year, in December, they uh-huh. closed down again for a remodel, I think paid for by Siegel and Cohen, into a more modern, sleek style, and they reopened May 11, 1939, now under the ownership of a guy who wasn't a mobster but was as close as you'll get while not committing crimes felix young do you get into it no i don't know him hang on world war one is beginning oh they're delivering my cocaine from columbia <laughs> oh no they're crashing into the jungle <laughs> he was a musical producer in new york but by 1933 he was in hollywood putting on felix young's tattletales when he got hired by columbia to be a production supervisor he was also an unstoppable gambler who would often gamble with bp schulberg who was head of paramount and also the dad of bud schulberg oh okay so young had a habit of borrowing money from schulberg to open up businesses so often that schulberg just made him an associate a producer yeah. at Paramount to have an excuse to pay him. He said that Young could sweet talk a cardinal out of his red hat. Explain that Christian joke to me. <laughs> See, a cardinal is a type of bird. <laughs> See, a cardinal is a baseball player. And they wear these red hats when they play baseball. He was also in and out of the Lincoln Heights jail often. Okay, the haunted um, Lincoln Heights jail. Yeah, haunted by him uh, every Friday night after he punched a sheriff not knowing. <laughs> he only lasted until October of that year before problems with the lease forced them to close. During the legal proceedings, he walked into one of the lawyers offices and started punching and choking the lawyer and threatened to call the mob on him which wow. is the last person you want to do maybe that the last to. person you want to do that to admit that there's a mob yeah <laughs> never admit that there's a mob to a lawyer he got a 50 dollars fine in a year's probation in december of that year it was bought by the club was bought by a band leader named abe lyman for ten thousand dollars but it was like what 35 cents yeah. how many hamburger dinners can i get <laughs> for that but within a month it was owned by a john steinberg not steinbeck and hosted the after party for the premiere of Gone with the Wind. Oh, wow. Okay. In the year 1940, they were raided twice for gambling, and by that spring, they were bankrupt. And on May 13th, all the furniture was auctioned off and the interior was stripped. But the Trocadero isn't the sort of place that just dies quietly. Much like most of the men that have been whacked by the (laughs) owners, they do not die quietly. In late January 1942, Young reopened a smaller little troc at 9263 Sunset. And the opening performer for that club was a young unknown named Lena Horn. Oh my God. Who really? packed houses every night and within four months she was signed by MGM and on her way to becoming a star. Damn. But the original building sat vacant for three years and was being considered as the site for the Academy of Motion Pictures, Art and Sciences Museum, okay. which still isn't built. <laughs> but in June 1943, it got new life again when it reopened on April 21st, 1943 as the Trocadero, but quickly closed again and reopened again August 4th, 1943 under the ownership of a Latin band leader named Eddie LeBaron, who was actually Eduardo Gasti who made it more of a Latin music club okay. called Eddie LeBaron's Trocadero. And wow. that was a hit, but LeBaron got drafted for World War II and his brother sold it to George Goldie, who was, you guessed it, 
a mobster. Okay. A few interesting moments from this era of Trocadero history. They were accused of violating wartime food ration laws in February 1945. I gotta have these biscuits. I gotta have this cornbread. I, I simply must. This loaf of bread has more than 20% actual bread in it. <laughs> they were accused of selling liquor after hours in July 1946. Spike Jones had a residency there in March 1946, and for a while it was managed by the husband of the mom from Leave It to Beaver. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. But the strip was changing, and Trocadero couldn't really keep up. In 1944, they even made a movie called Trocadero to try to get their buzz back. Didn't work. In October 1946, the Chip Corporation took over and spent $45,000 redecorating it and signing Carmen Miranda for an exclusive engagement there. But the Copacabana in New York City sued her for breaching their contract with her. Ricky Ricardo sued her? Litigious Ricardo. (laughs) And it never happened. And the club fell apart uh, this time for good because of Ricky Ricardo. And that's a fictional character, Ricky Ricardo. In a fictionalized version of a real club. (laughs) lawsuit. So they closed forever in early 1947 and were demolished and made into a nice empty lot for decades. They just couldn't compete with a new name in town. Greg? <clears throat> I'm going to have to take us back a little bit. Is that... I couldn't hear a word you said. Go ahead. Is that freeway right now? What's it, what's it like to live next to a freeway? That's funny. I haven't heard that. I haven't edited that one That's out before. Good. If you said highway, it'd be funnier. Highway's funnier than a freeway. I really... Oh my God, it's like the 15th car <laughs> in a row. Was this the Silk Road? Now that's funny. I'm going to be talking about Ciro's nightclub. Right. Ciro's was one of the most notable nightclubs of the old Sunset Strip. But the Ciro's we think of now actually started at a different location by a different person and it has no connection. <laughs> but I did the research, so you're going to have to hear about it. I mean, it. what are the odds that there's two places called Ciro's? Yeah. And they're named for completely different reasons. Whatever. <laughs> so the Ciro's, that doesn't matter. Let's talk about it a little bit. It was opened by Louis Adlon, who was the grandson of Lorenz Adlon. Now, his grandfather was pretty famous in Germany. And no, it wasn't for being the bullet that sped through Hitler's brain, allegedly. Grandpa Adlon was known for being the founder of the Adlon Hotel in Germany. It opened in 1907, and it would become one of Berlin's most important social gathering centers for the upper class. It survived both world wars with minimal damage, but it was later destroyed in a fire, according to legend. Mm. That was actually started in the in wine cellar by... Fire bombing? It was a fire from a blitzkrieg? <laughs> well, I don't know what that is. Some drunken Red Army soldiers were in the wine cellar and accidentally set it on fire. Really? Fire purifies all. Anywho, his grandson Louis Adlon spent his younger years there at, at the Hotel Adlon. After boarding school, his family immigrates, immigrates to America. I read somewhere that the rise of Nazism was why they fled and why Louis, why he would not become the owner of this like prestigious hotel. I'm not sure when they arrive in Los Angeles or if it's just Louis, but in 1931, he starts getting mentioned in the LA Times. From what I can gather, he and his father, Louis Adlon Sr., spent seven years touring America to examine American hospitality and service in hotels. Sounds like spies. I thought the same thing. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you're, oh, you're measuring curtains? What do you want from us? So you left right when the Nazis are getting into power to tour the United States. States. And check out hotels which you can house people, <laughs> yeah. undesirables perhaps. Checking out how comfortable each mattress is in the United States for a strong, pure German back. Mm. Mm, I bet I can fit four 45 people in this hotel room. <laughs> By 1931, Junior was 23 and being called the assistant manager of the Adlon Hotel of Berlin, his own father now being the owner and heir of the hotel and several more like it. Louis Jr. spent several days in Pasadena where he inspected the Raymond Hotel, the Green, and the Maryland Hotels. That same year, another article boasts that the young Adlon has a profound interest in films and had hopes of returning to Berlin to produce some. It didn't happen. I think from that point, he started landing small film roles, I guess playing like a waiter in a movie in New York. He's the sixth biggest star in early Hollywood. I know, and I'm like, I have no idea... <laughs> Charlie Chap 
Chapo. I, don't, I have no idea. Al Chapo. All of this is saying that February of 1934, he opens the first iteration of Ciro's with uh, Eric Alexander and George Sorrell as co-owners. More is known about Louis Adlon than the, his version of Ciro's, which was not on the Sunset Strip, wasn't even on Sunset. This Ciro's was somewhere on Hollywood Boulevard. Not quite sure where. This Ciro's club was informally part great of... great information. I know. Me too. This <laughs> me Ciro's, too. Uh, oh, wait. What did you say? I said this is great information. I said... I thought you said I love good information, and I said me too. I thought you said I love you. <laughs> Don't worry about that. You'll never hear. Um, this Ciro's Club was informally part of the chain of Ciro's that were, can be found in London, Paris, and Berlin. Ciro's Hollywood, this version, did not last a year. As for Louis Adlon, he continued as a bit actor, and in July of 1944, he married a composer named Rose Davies, sister of Marion Davies. Oh. He became a war correspondent and died in 1947. His great nephew, Percy Adlon, made a semi-documentary based on the Hotel Adlon, and his great uncle, Louis, who we're talking about, was the main character of this. Percy, the director of that, uh, his daughter-in-law is Pamela Adlon. Whoa. I know. Pretty much all of what I said just leads to that because I wanted to bring up <laughs> I Adelon. purposely went down a historical cul-de-sac. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. It's pretty weird, right? Not really related to anything, but it's pretty crazy. Pretty neat. Yeah. I like to make con- This whole podcast is about me making connections. This whole podcast is 10 degrees of Pamela Amblon yeah. at this hey, point. I would listen to that podcast. Kid we, Rock have to go was through. on <laughs> King of the Hill and Pamela Adelon did the voice of... She did Bobby, didn't Hank, she? Bobby. She did, yeah. I Pamela forgot, Adlon did name. Hank Hills. I always forget Bobby's name. I'm like, Ted, what's his name? I could draw him if I needed to. <laughs> Boomhauer Hill. I love Boomhauer. Um, the next year. Mm-hmm. No. Yes, the next year. <laughs> New Year's Love Eve. good. Love you. Love I lo- you. I love you. <laughs> The next year, on New Year's Eve, 1935, Club Seville was opened on the Sunset Strip at 8433 Sunset Boulevard at Sunset and North Olive Drive. It was opened by a couple hey, of let, guys. Let me check my uh, map that I have written on this uh, parking structure here. Is that part of the Sunset Strip, technically? Yeah, okay. Um, you know exactly where this is at. Oh, I do. Yeah, you do. Have you ever been there before? To the place it became? Yeah. No, I've never. Have been you never there. been there before? No. Wow, that's weird. It's almost like you hate Santa Pong. Uh, well, I hate it there, yeah. <laughs> well, I want to go see see dane cook drop in on a performance by a nobody who did i see oh bobby lee bobby hill <laughs> i saw boomhauer lee i saw boomhauer lee it was opened by a Baba couple boomhauer <laughs> it was opened by a couple of guys marcel lamaz and alfred de Fridas, who was a former assistant director lamaze i guess it's lamaze would be in charge of the cuisine while nell roy the musical comedy star was the house act joy lee's orchestra was the house band the fritas and lamaze both had previous experiences with owning and operating hollywood clubs they had another club seville at 8428 sunset that was was raided during Prohibition, and LeMay's was connected to the Clover Club at 8447. I think there was another uh, speakeasy. Yeah, there was like two other ones that we didn't really cover because they're speakeasies yeah. and they're top secret and there's not really any information yeah, about them. Yeah, it had them. booze there. Um, <laughs> all within close proximity of where we are now. This new Club Seville was meant to cater to film and society folk. The big draw of the club was something called the Crystal Marine Room. The Crystal Marine Room was a dance floor made from sheets of glass over a giant aquarium, or as it was more romantically put, a crystal dance floor with subsurface fish fountains and color lights so basically the dance floor there or was in layman's in term a dance floor with a bunch of dead fish under it that's it that's, that's crazy that. yeah it's pretty wow. it, it sounds kind of nice yeah. but I'm, i think i'm mostly picturing the lighting and the way the water thing yeah like yeah. makes the water it's a it's a water. nice idea yeah but like i can see it being a total animal rights violation i i can see me drowning in it <laughs> you go on to with your iron dance shoes yeah exactly <laughs> i got these from oh, givenchy oh, i would be dancing in like old diving gear like the metal and leather i'm trying to 
start a new trend. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, there's a shark in here. They also <laughs> a had shark a, is a mammal. He's saying something about a candy gram. I don't know. They also had an Arabian night room, which I can only imagine was exactly what it sounds like. Yeah, there's a bunch of people from Saudi Arabia underneath glass yeah. of the dance floor. And those curvy swords. What are they called? Scimitars. That's uh, it. They're called scimitars. No, I'm pretty sure that's a man with horse legs. <laughs> no, that's a man with legs made of swords. <laughs> Careful where you run. Careful what you run for. <laughs> Great gimmick. All this stuff. But still, Clubs of Ill closed within the year. What a weird, like, this room's underwater theme, and this one is Middle East theme. Yeah, this one's in The opposite, yeah, yeah. The place where there's no water. Oh, it makes it look like an oasis. I get it. When you get to the Crystal uh, Marine yeah, room, you're like, yeah. oh, cute. Oh, I'm so thirsty. I got to crack open this dance floor. Yeah, good thing they that, gave it, me a hammer at the door. That's where the phrase cut a rug comes from. You cut right in there, get your drink. That's where the phrase hammer time comes. Midnight, every night. Every Who's Thursday? <laughs> Please, no! <laughs> Stop! It's hammer time! Marcel Lemay's would try again at the same spot in 1938, and the name of the restaurant would be Marcel Lemay's, his own Your name. mama! Oh, okay. That also only lasted a year. By 1939, it was closed again. Now we These enter... These places are so, like, they're, they're closed. Yeah, they're closed for, like, a month, open for two months, closed for another month. I'm going to put my entire life savings into this place. Yeah. It was open for 15 minutes. <laughs> I'm bored now. I'm bored now. Where's the match? I'm book? moving to San Francisco. And now we enter the true story of Ciro's on the Sunset Strip, and we start with the old Villa Malay Meekly. Can't burn sand. Burn sand. Can't burn an aquarium. <laughs> I wrote this before I knew that you are going to talk about Wilkerson. Listeners of this show may already be familiar with him. It's Billy Wilkerson. But he's been on two you're previous an, episodes. You're pulling an Aaron Mankey right now. I know. And this man, man, William Wilkerson, a.k.a. Billy Wilkerson, a.k.a. Big Dick. Like we were saying before, here's all his trading card info. He was born in Nashville in 1890, inherited his father's insurmountable gambling debts, worked in Nickelodeon in Jersey, fell in with a Lemley Theater, tried to open his own movie studio and failed, tried to start one industry trade journal and failed, and in 1930, started The Hollywood Reporter, which he used years later to get the ball rolling on The Hollywood Blacklist, which named names yeah. and ruined lives. He did that. 37, he discovered Lana Turner at the Top Hat Malt Shop, a story that would launch a thousand starry girls to come to Hollywood <laughs> to be discovered. Among the many people that sought to personally fist fight him, like they would show up to his offices and try to fight him, here's two that stood out. He had two sides of the waiting room. Who has an appointment? Who's here to fight? Yeah, who's here to just like, oh, and, and walk-ins. Here are two walk-ins. <laughs> F. Scott Fitzgerald huh. and Ronald Reagan. Huh. At the same time. I don't know you. Oh, I've heard of you. I read it's, your short It's story. the answer to that age-old question, who wins in a fight, <laughs> F. Scott Fitzgerald or Ronald Reagan? That's, God, imagine. I mean, to have your enemies be F. Scott Fitzgerald and Ronald Reagan is such a good life. That's a good life, but also, like, where do you stand if your enemy is Ronald Reagan, but also F. Scott Fitzgerald? <laughs> Reagan apparently slipped and fell two times on Wilkerson's polished floor. <laughs> trying to fight him billy later the goes actor? on the hospital patient billy later goes on and opens a flamingo casino in nevada pretty much creates las vegas with a bunch of other gangsters and shady people mm. and he maybe was responsible for bugsy siegel's death if you want his whole story or the other parts of his story magazineophobia and red is a new blacklist are the other two episodes oh yeah that's the other one we mentioned him because i was only thinking the hollywood reporter you forgot I, that the hollywood reporter was yeah. behind the blacklist yeah i forgot about that i gotta cancel that subscription while the hollywood reporter is still in its infancy wilkerson through the 30s has different clubs he's opening like we talked about in 1933 he opens a vendome restaurant the same year Louis adlon ciros opens and closes he opens a trucadero and then of course he burns it down with the help of nola han no 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 there was a fire with the help of nola han fire purifies all <laughs> anywho now it was time for a new club on the strip fresh start and it would be at 8433 sunset the former club seville he would commission george vernon russell again to design it and Tob douglas was hired to decorate it also the name ciros has no connection to Louis adlon ciros big dick named his new glamorous club ciros after a bistro he liked to gamble in in Monte Carlo. The exterior is really simple. Sleek design, Ciro's in a nice white script on the building. The interior was lavish. Red ceilings, red silk 
oak sofas. I think padded walls again, pale green. Yeah, what is this with the padded walls? They had heard about it in like insane asylums. And like, that sounds, that sounds nice. comfortable. I think he was afraid of like a mobster bashing his head against the wall. He's like, but if it's padded. <laughs> Nothing here can be pointy. Nothing that my head can go thud on. Or people are just lindy hopping so hard that they're like crashing through Crash, the walls yeah. in other clubs. So they're like, you know what? We can't disturb the people next door. They run a yeah. good business. They have a bookstore. So <laughs> the walls see. are filled with sharks. Also, there was pale green. So they put all the dead sharks afterwards. Finn's pointed out. <laughs> Pad those. Pad those. <laughs> There's drapes everywhere. Like pale green ribbed drapes everywhere. And when I say everywhere, like everyone's like every like every time I read it, they're like everywhere. They serve your food and take off the silver things drape. <laughs> they put a piece of the wall over it and they lift it. <laughs> Cyril's had a large bandstand for performers and a spotlight at the entrance to make every person who entered yeah. feel like a star, even the already established stars. Cyril's opened January 30th, 1940. And according to different puff pieces, it was an immediate smash. It was the club on a sunset According trip. to the Hollywood Reporter. Basically, it was- <laughs> like I was about to, uh, my next sentence, there was an ad running that said, everybody that's anybody will be at Zero's, which ran in the Hollywood Reporter. <laughs> when it first opened, it was a celebrities only club, which is like okay. probably not, at the time, not hard to fill. The list of regulars and performers is huge. Like we always talk about, like a list full of, it's just like a long everybody. list. Through the years, you'd get a Billie Holiday, a Peggy Lee, Edith Piaf. 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 Edith Piaf. Edith Pie Eating Contest. Yeah. Martin Lewis, Louis and Desi, my TV parents, Gary Cooper, Betty Grable. This on top of the already established partiers from Club Trocadero and the Gangsters and the Hollywood Folk. You had mm. Marlene Dietrich, Judy Garland, James Stewart, Clark Gable, Carol Lombard, Lucy and Desi. I already said that. <laughs> Henry Fonda. And Desi and Lucy. Uh, you had Desi and Lucy. You had Ricky and uh, Lucy. <laughs> you had Ricky and Ricky. Isn't Fred it, and Fred. You know what's funny? I think we've talked about this that his name's Desi Arnaz. The son on the show's name is little ricky and like for some reason i was still thinking but wait why would they still name their child little ricky (laughs) it's clearly his real name i saw that episode of the brady bunch his name is little ricky (laughs) i could grasp that it was going one way like real name doesn't go into the show fake name but show fake name goes into (laughs) the real world one of the biggest psychological trips to me was being a kid and i was a huge fan growing up there was like a block of like black and white on i think on fox and it was i love lucy and annie griffith and then mm-hmm. there's other ones after that and I sometimes i watch green anchor sometimes i watch Riley hillbillies but there's a couple episodes that you see opie's friends and one of the opie's friends is the kid who played little ricky who really? i'm like yeah i didn't realize and that. it like it's startling because to me little ricky was really the yeah. son of Desi Arnaz, but you're supposed to be living in New York City in a cramped to- apartment with your godparents upstairs. How'd you get to God knows where America? <laughs> North Carolina. That was one of the first times, because I never saw Lucy anywhere else. I never saw Desi anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. I never saw Fred and Ethel anywhere else. Yeah. Sometimes I'd see the people who'd like visit. Of course they make a big like, deal about Superman, George Reeves. Yeah. He's famous. Why'd we both go to George Reeves? I know, because that's the only person. <laughs> because uh, Harper Marx is nobody. Because we've seen one episode of I Love Lucy. <laughs> but to see an actor from there in another show yeah, is like, Weird. That means it's not real? I don't understand. I, what are you trying to tell me right now? Who Wait pays for the minute. apartment? Are they subletting right now? Wait a minute. So Vivian Vance isn't a landlord on their free time? But you know where you can see Lucy and Desi? The grave. Where? So, <laughs> Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Zeros. <laughs> close quote. Thank you for bringing us back home. Luala Parsons and Hedda Hopper, two of the biggest yeah. gossipers at the time, considered Zeros their office. Hmm. Every table at Zeros apparently had its own private telephone lines to call and make uh, important Hollywood business calls. Oh my God. But Parsons and Hopper... <laughs> Billy Holiday just dropped a napkin. She won't stop doing drugs. Parsons and Hopper would be using this to said immediate gossip to God. the publishers. Like you're talking about with uh, Fink. It's the same thing with them. It's like they were like... 
What are you doing? Who's like who's about to fight? They'd be sitting around waiting for drunk movie stars to get into brawls or waiting on scandals. We talk about like, man, with Twitter, everything's just on there immediately. But little did they know there was a like transatlantic cable running Mm -hmm. across from Ciro's to the Hollywood Reporter building. Giving Murray Hill two five five five. You won't (laughs) believe what Cary Grant just did. You just can't keep Cary Grant off the ladies. Mm, okay. In the 50s, Frank Sinatra celebrated his first Academy Award win for the, the house I live in at Ciro's. Sammy Davis Jr. had his what big comeback show at Ciro's after his near-fatal car crash. What's the house I live in? A movie that Frank Sinatra is in that I'll never watch because I don't <laughs> like Frank Sinatra. Ciro's apparently had like little tucked away secret areas. There was a hidden women's parlor as as like a safe space or a place of gossip for who knows. <laughs> away from Hedda Hopper. Yeah, exactly. Who probably had her own secret booth. Um, right next door with a giant hole through a painting of someone's it, ear. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> there's another hidden gambling parlor made for gangster handsome Johnny Rosalie who we talked about already Mm -hmm. it was made just for him the guy who killed Kennedy the guy the man who might have killed Kennedy (laughs) the the umbrella man himself (laughs) the Manchurian candidate himself you give a guy a copy of Catch from the Rye you don't know what he's gonna do you don't know what icon from the 60s he's gonna (laughs) kill cut to two years later Ciro's is the most happening place on censorship which is the most happening place in Hollywood so it's easy to say Ciro's is the center of glamour it is a huge success it is at this point where Billy Wilkerson got bored with it and in 1942 this place looks pretty flammable something about all these padded walls that i planned full of uh, dry brush yeah. by this point he was gravitating if this place were to burn down can my mom get dessert from here <laughs> <laughs> can my mom get cocktails delivered to her home by this point he was gravitating towards a new scheme opening a casino in the middle of the desert in Nevada. And after a failed attempt to open a casino in like Arrowhead, this is like all his attention is going towards Nevada. It's so weird that like you can almost follow, I mean, it's not, this isn't a revelation, but like you can follow the trail of mafia and casinos by yeah. wherever Frank Sinatra lays his head. Mm-hmm. Oh, where does he want to hang his hat this time? Yeah. Oh, we're, we're probably going to have to start paying uh, those Atlantic police. City. So it's time to part ways. It's time for Wilkerson to part ways with Ciro's. And apparently he again turned to Nola Han mm-hmm. and was like, how do I... Uh, how do I do this? So this scheme... I know I said I'd never ask you for a favor again. But here I am. <laughs> this scheme, though, would have to be wildly original to not look suspicious. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, though. They set another fire in January of 1943. The building burned down a fire. <laughs> the fire set a bigger fire. So January 1943, there was a damaging and not suspicious fire <laughs> from a lit cigarette in the cocktail lounge, and that was the culprit. The interior was severely damaged, as was the roof and two exterior walls, and all of the instruments of the Emil Coleman Orchestra were damaged. The Total, the damages were $50,000. I said damaged a lot. Wilkerson managed to sell the nightclub in Hollywood to a guy named Albert Griffith. Albert Grifter. The owner of the Last Frontier Casino in Las Vegas, which I'm sure there was a deal there. But then Griffith died after someone mysteriously set him on fire. (laughs) Kidding. He had a heart attack. Spontaneously Um, combusted. (laughs) Ciro's was then purchased by its new owner, Herman Hover. Which every time I see his name, I want to say Hoover. It's Herman <laughs> Hover, who is Wilkerson's longtime friend, and it was said right hand man. Mm-hmm. Under Hover's command, Ciro's continues to thrive as a Hollywood hotspot. Hover went into Ciro's management alongside Marcel Lemays, who was one of the owners of the Club Seville, who was the previous mm-hmm. occupant of that space. Hover sought to it that the layout of the club was rearranged and the overall social atmosphere was about to change. For Hover's Ciro's, the public would get a chance to party with the stars at this new nightclub. Mm-hmm. Diluting the atmosphere. Exactly. Oh boy, there's the owner of a restaurant next to me. <laughs> oh, God, can you imagine? Oh, God, the mayor's here. Can you imagine the mayor of Los Angeles? You own a cow? <laughs> You've seen a cow before? You've drank milk? You don't eat babies to stay alive? Oh, God, I'm denting into a vegetarian. It also became a legitimate sunset ship hangout when he was forced to pay Mickey Cohen for protection mm-hmm. every week when a Mickey's goons would leave an empty box in the kitchen of Ciro's and one of the employees would put bags of cash into it. 
at which point the cash block was taken back to Cohen's headquarters, Michael's exclusive haberdashery at 8804 <laughs> Sunset Boulevard. If you want to hear oh. that insane story, Ali Noir is a fantastic book that talks about how Mickey Cohen owned both a haberdashery and a floral shop, and mm. he turned both of them illegitimate. Also, the haberdashery was on Sunset. I wonder if that's where the urban legend that those flower stores are run by the mob. Probably. Ciro's uh. management also had ties with one of the lifelong villains of the city, Ali sheriff's department because they ran, pretty much ran that area or they were in cahoots one of my favorite words through the late 40s and into the 50s Ciro's was not only known for the celebrity sightseeing that a regular rich guy joe would see there but also for celebrity fights Ciro's known for celebrity fights huh. the next place i'm going to get into is known for that too. really yeah. one of the biggest fights happened there between a french actor Francois tone and a gossip columnist florabelle Mir. after tone walked by Mir's table and spat in her face hmm. that's how french people romance each other though that's what I kind of thought. I'm like, oh, well, he's French. It might mean something else. He's trying to marry her. Are you trying to woo this person? Woo. I guess Mir wrote a really nasty thing about Tone and his wife, Barbara Payton. And when the two were both at Ciro's, they had words and stuff and it started to get heated. And Mir asked Tone if he was angry. And Tone said the most old timey Hollywood thing. Yes, I am. I'm so mad, in fact, that I get to spit in your face. <laughs> in fact, that's what I'm going to do. And then he spat in her face. It, it, so 2020 to, is an act of terrorism, by the way. He's so used to like silent movies I that know. he has to have title cards before he does anything. Hold on. He's still writing that down. There's uh, apparently so <laughs> that, many fights that Hubbard jokingly said that he was going to replace the dance floor with a boxing ring. Hmm. He also said that. Filled with sharks. He also said that there was a limit on fights from customers. Three brawls each, and then you're done at zeros there is one exception you want to guess what it was um errol flynn frank sinatra uh, of course of course old blue eyes and scrawny arms lightly touches a guy and suddenly a knife comes out from the other side through his chest and he thinks he won the fight i picked a fight with a guy then my friend shot him behind an alley yeah. and now i won the fight <laughs> i punched him so hard he tumbled by the collar out yeah. into the back alley and got shot i punched him so hard he ended up in a hole in the desert because of my two <laughs> friends in 1951 one of the biggest things that happened to Ciro's happened a thing that whenever you look up Ciro's, it has three things this is one of the three things when hover booked the burlesque superstar Lily St. Cyr to perform and all the shows were immediately sold out because Lily St. Cyr was a sensation. That's a great a burlesque, burlesque name. drag name. It's probably the best burlesque drag name yeah. there ever was. Nita <laughs> Von Teese is a maybe the second I don't but know I forget what I said about whoever I was talking about before but I think it was pretty good I think that it was memorable it's not Carol Norman is it so Norman <laughs> Carol Norman got it I get it Amanda hug and okay. Norman Amanda hugging man anyways I go on so all the shows uh, all the shows of course immediately sold out and it's just as the show is getting good you know what that means the sheriff department would raid Ciro throwing mm. everything into catastrophe and arresting Lily St. Cyr for a decency the human fire department yeah well, the human not fire department but you know i know what the you fire mean. the thing that the fire department's fighting got it how scandalous this would be in 1951 but of course it was all planned ahead of time hover's employee made the tip-off call to the undersheriff who already knew what was going on and they uh, threw a raid to get a story in the newspapers and it totally worked and the story for loot act and arrest were front page news for weeks and now it's 70 years later and i have to write about it <laughs> but after all the glitz <laughs> and advertising glamour, works hey you get it in the alley times once and i have to do research about it and i'm mad but after all the glitz and glamour of old hollywood right around the corner was hippy dippy 60s mm. in 1957 the culture Phase was two of sunset exactly strip. yeah in 1957 the culture was on the brink of change the and showerless was... years go on 
Thanks. Ciro's just didn't have enough crowds anymore to justify paying the rent with little money that they were receiving. So Ciro's declared bankruptcy in 1957. A guy named Frank Senes or Scenes took over and he ran it as new Ciro's for a while. Then in the 60s, as singer-songwriters infested the area with new clubs like the Whiskey and the Roxy, mm. the spot where Ciro's was went through several different owners and name changes as it was trying to take hold as a rock club. Mm. One of the names was Ciro's Lead Disc, where the birds debuted uh, the really? band. And they had performances from The Doors, The Loving Spoonful, Bob Dylan, The Fifth Dimension, Sonny and Cher, and Jimi Hendrix. But then Ciro's Lead Disc changed his name to It's Boss. Wait a minute. A club was called It's, it's Boss? It's Boss, which what, is the most 60s SoCal thing I could think of. Ugh. It's Boss. That's embarrassing. Was a name so bad the place closed for good after probably <laughs> It's being, closed. It's closed, yeah. <laughs> You're fired. It lasted until the late 60s. And in 1972, 8433 Sunset Boulevard became what it is now today, the comedy store. But it's not just the... Ad- Thank you. Too much let. <laughs> Accepted sexual harassment. People who all went on to be bad people in real life. <laughs> Tucking tacky shirts into slacks. <laughs> A brick wall behind you. Rolled up jacket sleeves on top of you. But it's not just the address that's left over from Ciro's. Many people think that the ghosts who haunt the very haunted comedy store are spirits left behind from the days of Ciro's when it was a gangster-controlled nightclub. Yes. People online say the basement, which has been since renovated, was supposedly used to torture and kill those who posed a threat to the secrecy of the LA Mafia. Hmm. I'm more afraid of the price of a two-drink minimum at the comedy store than ghosts. And that's Ciro's becoming I'd, the comedy store. I'd rather be tortured by I'd rather the be tortured. Yeah, I haven't been. I, I've never been, been there. I've never been. I've never been. I've never been to the comedy store uh, ever. That's fair. I mean, for performing, why? Why, why would we even attempt to sign up on the 300-person list that 10 people are going to get picked? And for watching people, like, oh, I'm going to spend, what, upwards of $18 to go see comedy. $20 for a ticket and plus a two drink minimum yeah. and each soda is six bucks. Yeah. And again, I'm going to see Kevin Hart talk about how he hates his son. Hey, that sounds like a good show. Hey, I'm in. Okay, so let's get to my final one. This one, it's a lesser one of uh, other ones that we did, but yeah. it almost what I'm leading up to at the very end of this story makes it worth saving for the end. So let's okay. get to it. Look at them sway with it, getting so gay with it, shout no lay with it. Wow. Papa loves Mocambo, and so will you. Again, I could have just started at Papa loves Mocambo. You could, uh, yeah. But mm, where would the madness lie? Jokes are nothing without backstory. <laughs> yeah. Where, where does the proof of the insanity begin? <laughs> um, Where's the cry for help if I don't do this? This is maybe the third major player in the game, though. Okay. Like it's like Ciro's Trocadero Mocambo. Okay. They were at. Well, how does Papa feel about Mocambo? <laughs> I'll tell you how Mama feels about it. <laughs> Left out. There's actually another big story that. We'll that was a dog's reaction to a fly what you just had what I started frothing at the mouth and biting my crotch yeah. you got it they were at 8588 Sunset across from where uh, the Mel's is okay now. I feel like every episode I'm saying it's across from where Mel's yeah. is you know Mel's right but all of you fans in Australia you know <laughs> Australia and New Zealand you know where Mel's is but before they were Mocombo they were Club Versailles which okay. was set to open December 1937 it was run by Lee Francis who was a prominent Hollywood madam opening night was coming up and they were all booked with reservations but the liquor license didn't come through so they were never able to open. Cool. Francis then sold it to a nightclub owner from Cleveland named Phil Selzik, who opened it anyway without a license. And they just got the license eventually. But he got arrested October 16th, 1938 for selling liquor (laughs) after 2 a.m. though. So Versailles limped on a little after that, but then it hit the big time and came under the ownership of Charlie Morrison. So this was another New York guy who worked in his dad's movie theaters as a kid, became a 
talent agent as a teenager and by age 21 you like your hair a lot sure shooting with starts boss i could get you booked in the latest <laughs> edison movie uh, who should we do in clubs by age 21 he was one of the top agents in new york isn't that weird yeah that's crazy he decided to move to la to open a nightclub and on january 3rd 1941 of course the 21 year old talent agent wants to move to la to open a yeah. nightclub a tale as old as time january 3rd 1941 club versailles reopened as the glamorous mocambo okay and who was his partner in this felix young oh really yep the gangsters back what well kind of gangster what made this place special was that it was latin american themed uh-huh. which at the time was considered very exotic and yeah. very naughty to be latin to be not white <laughs> it would <laughs> be differently toned your oh, parents yes. speak a different language oh boy criminal uh, you're not from northern europe oh my <laughs> god it was designed by a movie set designer named tony duquette and was filled with color and what white hollywood imagined things to look like south of the border right not least of all here's another animal rights violation glass cages filled with the exotic birds <laughs> cockatoos macaws and parrots but also apparently they had seagulls and pigeons in oh some of the cages god. but uh, also our newest gimmick we'll walk a chimp out to the dance floor and shoot it in the brain and then we just dance every night a new tiger <laughs> we strangle with our bare hands <laughs> and we do mean bear because we put we cut off bare hands bear and hands use them to kill tigers them, yeah. guess who didn't like this the aspca they objected so heavily that they managed to delay the grand opening but morrison finally got the go-ahead after he convinced them that the birds were here's where i should say quote enjoying themselves wow okay look they're dancing look at them bob their heads look at they're dancing for their lives look at how much fecal matter they're producing <laughs> they must be happy they also got the house banned from the trocadero to move oh wow to mocambo mocambo was considered to be the nightclub's nightclub so it was kind of like i guess it, that means like you're at the zeros and then like eh, let's go somewhere quieter i guess well, although it doesn't seem quiet this is another place where there's birds everywhere this is another place where it's useless to name all the people who went there right here we go. In the 40s, you had people like Mr. Never Tip Clark Gable. Oh, yeah. Mr. I Bring Corpses to Parties, Errol Flynn. <laughs> Which Mis- was confirmed. Which was confirmed by Drew Barrymore. Mr. I Bring Corpses to Parties and It's Funny, Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> and then you had Henry Fonda, Elizabeth Taylor, James Cagney. Whenever Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall would walk in, the band would play that old black magic. That's pretty nice. On the opposite end, Myrna Loy and Arthur Hornblower had their divorce party at oh, Mocombo. Cool. Then in the 50s, you had people like Natalie Wood, Tony mm-hmm. Curtis, Sophia Loren, Grace Kelly, Double, Debbie, Deb- Double Reynolds. There were about 200 people there every single night Jeez. at Mocombo. This also seemed to be a place where celebrities got into a lot of fights these are the ones i have 1941 an la times writer named jimmy fiddler wrote some mean things about errol flynn in the paper so when flynn saw him in mocambo he went up to him and punched him cool uh, that same year an agent named william burnside punched out michael romanoff wow really romanoff later said i wish they had let me go just for a minute and i would have annihilated him <laughs> <laughs> and my alter ego would have annihilated him <laughs> i would have annihilated him just like i did in russia we still all believe that right <laughs> just like all the heads i ripped off the bodies in russia <laughs> with my bare hands <laughs> more important than just the violent performers who hung out there are the sometimes violent performers who perform there mocambo is where frank's Sinatra made his LA debut as a solo artist after leaving the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra really? in 1943. This place also helped develop the career of Milton Berle, and a long career it was. <laughs> King of the heterosexually wavy hair Liberace played here. Edith Piaf, Edith Pie Contest, yeah. sang here in July 1957. Lena Horne, Eartha Kitt played here in December 1953, which the stock footage of the place with the sign outside yeah. saying Eartha Kitt, they used that in Plan 9 from Outer Space. Really? Yeah, there's like an alien flying over Mocambo. <laughs> 
uh, which is a dish they serve there. <laughs> on Monday nights, they had a band called the Firehouse Five Plus Two. That's Ward Kimball's band, the Disney band. Yep, that's they fantastic. There. They played there weekly. Really? Yep. Speaking of uh, animators, this place was honored with the Looney Tunes treatment in 1947 with Bugs Bunny visiting Mo Crumbo in <laughs> slick hair. I can't Yay! find it online. There's only like clips online and one really bad video of it, but we'll find it. I'll talk to the Animaniacs. My we'll drag inspiration, it. Bugs Bunny. <laughs> Bugs Honey. One big thing that happened here that got a lot of attention just a few months back was in 1955, as the story goes, the club wouldn't book Ella Fitzgerald because she was <gasps> black, but Marilyn Monroe promised the club that she would be there in the front row every night, pulling in huge publicity if they did. So they did, and Ella's career took off. That was at Macombo. That was at Macombo. It's a nice story, but it's only kind of true. Uh-huh. Uh, you already heard Macombo was not against booking black artists. They already had Eartha Kitt and Lena Horne and yeah. Dorothy Dandridge amongst other people. The real reason she wasn't booked was partly because jazz was not seen as glamorous enough for okay. a place like Macombo, which is racist in a different way. <laughs> but mostly it was because she was a larger woman who wasn't seen as sexy enough, right. which is also really mean. Yeah. Marilyn, Still good on Marilyn Monroe. Well, there's okay. even more. Marilyn Monroe was a big Ella Fitzgerald fan and actually studied her music to learn how to sing better. Uh-huh. But whether or not she actually had a hand in Fitzgerald getting booked there or not is still up for debate because Monroe wasn't in LA from March 15th to 25th, 1955, uh-huh. when Ella Fitzgerald was playing at Macombo. Yeah. So she couldn't have been at any of the shows. Right. There's that picture of the two of them together, but that's from a different club from okay. a year earlier. It seems that Monroe just wanted to throw Ella Fitzgerald a big party after her performance yeah. at Macombo. But again, she was out of town, so that never happened. And even though Fitzgerald liked Marilyn Monroe, she didn't want to be friends with her because she was a drug addict. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to go back to all my friends, jazz players. Yeah. Charlie Parker, <laughs> Frank Sinatra, and Judy Garland, though, were both at her show. So they oh, actually okay. were at the Ella Fitzgerald show. They sit in the front row every show. Yeah, not every, at one show, which is probably just as helpful, though. And Fitzgerald yeah. said that after her stint at Mocambo, I never had to play a small jazz club again. So okay, it was influential, but yeah. whether or not Marilyn Monroe... Not really. So this place was another star-making powerhouse where stars came to play, but the man behind it all, Morrison, died of a stroke on March 27, 1957, and left the place in huge debt. Really? The place was in trouble, and Sinatra tried to help out by playing a two-week gig there to raise money for the family that sold out every night. Uh But on June 30th, 1958, Mokamba was closed for good with a sign on their door that said, Gone Fishing, which is also my drag name. It reopened briefly a little later as a supper club called The Cloy but today that building is now gone and replaced by probably a marijuana shop. I don't know. But if you're feeling like you missed out on something and want to relive the glory of Mocambo, fear not. You can always turn on an episode of I Love Lucy because the main stage of the Tropicana that Ricky plays in is a recreation of the main stage at Mocambo. Really? Yeah, so oh. that's what it looked like. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, fun. So no stage, a bandstand, but Ricky's performing at the tables. Tables all around you. You can dance and schmooze with Yeah, you can romance. pick fries off the, f- the plate of your landlord. You can get told that your wife is pregnant right from the performing yeah. circle. And, and everyone's just basking in that atmosphere with you. That's good. That's pretty cool. Uh, of the of the three we talked about, that's probably the one that I would have wanted to go to to see the Firehouse 5 plus 2. I, I feel like we'd be most accepted at Mocombo. Like yep. Zeros, I'd get punched by Frank Sinatra yeah. immediately. Trocadero, I'd get a picture taken and I'd go King Kong on everybody. Yeah, Mickey Cohen would use my body to realign the tires of his car. <laughs> Which is made out of my body. <laughs> so that's the sunset show. Let's do the listener question now. Okay. We got to, Should we, we got have to a talk down first mm, that was the sunset yeah, ship let's do what that was the sunset that was ship. The, and that was the sunset ship so that was our talk down 
And that was our talk, Dad. As like an entertainment hub, it's a really good, honest Hollywood start, meaning like it was run by the mob yeah. and it didn't have to pay taxes and uh, <laughs> you could dance there legally. And thinking of it through the years, like we, t- we jokingly talked about like the different iterations and but, like you can see like how it slowly became hippie yeah, central yeah, yeah. and then it went to heavy metal and punk and then now it's it's just like if you're visiting LA and you have money, it's, it's where it's, you want to party. Yeah, it's, it's a billboard it's museum. Billboard central. <laughs> yeah, Tower Record City. It's a much more enjoyable, I don't know, like clubs. When you think of a club, you think of Ashton Kutcher going to some place right. on Hollywood Right, you get seen with like uh, Jessica Simpson yeah. somewhere and you're and like, whoa, it, this is a big deal. Yeah, it sounds miserable, but like these clubs sound like you have a purpose. Like at a club nowadays, it seems like you go there to dance and, yeah. and stop. <laughs> but in those days, it, it gives you, which I need structure when I'm going to have fun. Yeah. <laughs> like it sounds like you're going there to have dinner, there's going to be music and you can dance. Like yeah. it, it sounds like a more uh, civilized time. Not just grinding. Yeah, I've always wanted to like live in that era where like the Macombo would have been a thing. Baked Potato and Blue Elephant are like jazz clubs in town yeah. that are uh, pricey. I've At least $18. At person. least $18, <laughs> which uh, in today's money is $18. <laughs> we finally found the center. We've come full circle. It's just like the history of Sunset Strip, not just these three clubs, is, is like so interesting as far as like it is like the, the idea everyone has well, of like the entertainment scene in Hollywood is this what, yeah, nine yeah, blocks yeah. or whatever. The, the glamour was in basically these three places we just talked about. Yeah. Like Holly, old Hollywood glamour was happening in these three places. Yeah. But I also didn't realize that it's not just like I knew Ciro's was a gangster place. Yeah. I didn't really realize anything else was. Yeah. And I certainly didn't realize everything else was. Yeah. yeah, Sunset yeah. Strip. It was the mafia's yeah. office, pretty much. Yeah. Or the, not the mafia, but the mob. The mob. Whatever, yeah. The Jewish mafia. They had to share offices with the gossip columnists of Hollywood, too. Yeah. And it's just so funny. <laughs> had to get out of there. <laughs> I got to go drain this guy's jugular. What? I read a story about I don't know if it was at Ciro's but and I, I can't remember what the actress was but a valet gave a famous actress a car might have been Rita Hayworth and she drove off and she's like seems weird so she drove the car back and the guy was sweating bullets he's like thank you this is Mickey Cohen's car oh my you God. have the same car as him <laughs> I thought the trunk sounded loud I thought I heard the sound of pounding from the trunk could you imagine that's the imagine. beginning of a pulp story is I killed this poor valet and then Rita Hayworth saw me doing it and now I had to kill her and now Philip Marlowe's <laughs> gonna be like I don't know where to even begin with this I see this as the beginning of uh, I'm gonna cast uh, a young Steve Martin in this <laughs> role he drives off he ha- accidentally has Mickey Cohen's car and he scrapes against the pole and, and then he realizes he has to bring it back and then Mickey Cohen Oh, baby. Oh, oh man. That guy's going to sweat bullets. He's mad. <laughs> Mickey Cohen, who's played by John Candy. <laughs> He's probably in a wife beater or something. Tucked into slack so you can see his big gut. So let's get to our listener question. We've okay. had our talk down. Let, now let's have our... This is our afterbirth. Yeah. This listener question is from Edwin Arzetta. Edwin Arzetta. On Instagram. He asks... A well, good travel pal. A good traveler. A great soldier. A worthy traveler. So he says, traffic has been noticeably and necessarily light. This question's a few months old. Potholes are being filled. Main thoroughfares are being repaved. Right now is a good time to go cruising in cars, economical and social circumstances allowing. What have been some long put off drives that you finally had the chance to make or see yourself finally making or are making again after a long time? Possibly PS wear masks idiots thank you um we do we uh, do we do i mean I, I talked about i think last time but i finally made the mount wilson drive which i really enjoyed except for the yeah. fire at the end of it well i told you someone someone else i know was driving well i don't know someone i know who knows yeah whatever. they were driving up to mount wilson at night to see um the meteors right and at all of the turnoffs there were these groups of people oh. like yelling in spanish and like screaming and getting on their knees it was like every turnoff and apparently this has been going on for months 
Wow. So I don't know. What Something's cooking up there in the hill that nobody yeah. wants to talk about. Well, it. I mean, that's the like Jack Parsons area. Hell, yeah, that's hell's true. Get, gateway to hell or whatever. Yeah. Um, anyway, did you, where did you, that was you? <laughs> I love to drive and I like to go for long drive, long aimless drives. I love to do it, but I've been doing more of them. I've been wanting to walk around downtown because I've been feeling like kind of nostalgic for it. It's kind of around like the Lexington smell, the, the smell area, like that whole block. Yeah. The smell district. Yeah. The smell district. Well, I've been going on a lot of drives. Like I, I was just driving around downtown. Then I missed Traytech. So I drove to Traytech. Then I I thought where does jefferson go jefferson takes you all the way to culver city so i drove all the way to culver city i took like overland all the way up and i somehow ended up in like oh because it cuts off on santa monica so i drove down santa monica went up beverly hills and then ended up on the sunset strip and then just like slowly drove home like called, i could tell you why it's called that because i haven't been doing a lot of drives because yeah. the thing with me is that where am i going to pee when i have to pee right. and also it makes me frustrated and sad that like oh, i can't just go walk into this place and go yeah. eat there or whatever but the times we have gone driving just like driving driving from Burbank yeah. to Sherman Oaks or just like driving something that we've always liked doing driving just down Ventura Boulevard yeah, like it's so much more stimulating now yeah. because I want to look at everything because yeah. anything outside of like a one mile radius of me right now yeah. is like oh my god it's a whole new I've never seen <laughs> such Panda Expresses like this especially on a hot day so you have air conditioning in the car and you want to get yeah, out it's your the only way to apartment. escape now yeah just this past weekend we went down to Costa Mesa to drop Ada's computer off and we just took the coast up all the way to, I think, maybe Long Beach and then walked around Long Beach for a bit. That's a nice drive, too. It's just like getting out, and not only of L.A., but like out of the county, going yeah. to the home of cruiser bikes and board shorts, and then making it to Long Beach where it's civil again. But where'd you pee? Where'd you I pee? don't. I've perfected my filtration system. Exactly. I've evolved past it. What have you been doing during <laughs> quarantine? The drive I might have to make, though, is all the way to Albuquerque, which... Oh, oh and you finally become Bugs Bunny. Yeah. <laughs> I finally have to make the right turn <laughs> to Albuquerque. I might have to do that, which my parents just did, which was a 14 and a half hour drive, which sounds miserable when one, you have to do it straight. And also like what? I can't stop at the world's biggest alien museum. I right. can't see the Fiji mermaid. I mean, honestly, like you could just wear a mask and socially distant and you'll be safe. I've been doing that and I haven't got coronavirus yet. Like just don't be some all... Don't be stupid about it. But also a lot of these places aren't open. And yeah. also like, well, I, I can't sit at this place that has lunch boxes all over the wall. No, you there. can't. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not going to do it. You can just order food from there and support them. It's not the same. Okay. <laughs> these long drives, uh, I'd say just pick a direction and go until you are and tired of driving. Stop. I do find that whenever I do have to go to like work or to my parents or whatever, I take the long road yeah. home because I just want to see everything again. Yeah. I mean, I've always been like that, but now I'm really basking in it. Yeah, it's sad. And it's also bad when you're driving and I can't like, oh, because when I drive through a new neighborhood and I'm the one driving, yeah. I'm still like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> but this time, like I stop and stare like, huh, is that what the sign for Big Five used to look like? <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well, it won't be over and it's only going to get worse by the time this episode comes out because because USC is just going to spread it everywhere. Yeah, those um, punks. Those Trojan punks. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that we already did our plugs for everything at the yeah. beginning. That was our, was it? September, yeah. September episode. Oh, wake me oh, up we... when September ends. I'm awake now, daddy. Um, oh, You're gross. Um, I'm on a podcast for Glendale. Mm. Uh, they have a vodcast. I went on a Zoom interview a with the Glendale. I did um, a vodcast. I did a podcast. <laughs> so you can look for that. I'll post it up. Doing a special episode because Eric Nossbaum is doing a talk with Glendale as 
well. So I'm releasing a special episode of Ali Meekly, which is just going to be me talking about displacement a little bit. It's going to be a shorter episode and it's going to be kind of work in conjunction with the talk he's going to have with them. So you can catch me those two places. Oh yeah. Hey, follow us on our own personal Twitter yeah. at DMZafra and that's Greg. Grego underscore Gonzo. That's either Daniel or the lead singer from Cigarettes After <laughs> Sex. I'm on Instagram as well, Grego Gonzo. And uh, let's see, let's give us money on Patreon. Please. Um, it really does help us out though. Yeah. It's nice. It keeps us going. But yeah, next month is going to be a Halloween themed episode. Right. I've already got some formulating ideas. Mm, I'm twirling my mustache. That doesn't I'm exist. I'm busy. <laughs> mm, I just ripped a tooth out. <laughs> also send us the listener question. Yes, please. Send us more listener questions at any of the places we mentioned before and also send the answer to the question we're asking you. Yeah, have a nice September. My birthday uh, is birthday, happening. And if you have- Happy 7th anniversary to Ellie Meekly coming up soon too. Oh my too. god, yeah, a week before. No, no, no. That was stand-up, but we, I, I yeah, counted it as the same. That. We yeah, we wanted to get to go to uh, the Talleyrand this year. I know. We yeah. can order out and eat here. <laughs> the one thing I love more than takeout is ordering chicken fried steak takeout and it's just a pile of slop in my <laughs> lap. That's what I love. Give it to me. You know, as always, stay safe. Don't cough on anybody don't see anybody stop being annoying stop being the people who go to each other's houses saying we're socially distanced we're sitting on opposite ends of the couch oh you want me to wear a mask when i come over yeah i want you to wear a mask thanks for listening everybody have a nice rest of the hot time of the year and uh we'll see you in october when i will be dressed like frankenstein for an entire month because nobody can stop me this year (laughs) what are they gonna check in on me at work no they're not what is social services gonna stop me again (laughs) not this time and that's been another episode of ally meekly not being on the take but kind of wondering how we get to be since 2013 i did not approve that <laughs> you went rope for that one i'm sexy i'm sexy and i know it <laughs>